It's July, which means it's college football preview season. Unfortunately, your favorite college football magazine is already out of date. To keep up with transfers, injuries, and position battles this summer, consider becoming a CFB Winning Edge Tier 2 Patreon supporter. For a small monthly fee, you'll receive access to our 2021 FBS team profiles, which includes over 10,000 individual player ratings, daily updated depth charts, the most in-depth returning production database on the market, projected point spreads for every game all season, and much more. Visit patreon.com slash Edge to learn more and to sign up. Welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter machine. And moving forward, so you guys know, we are going to be doing conference previews. And we're going to start out with the illustrious, the big conference USA here. And uh, it's a very interesting conference. I mean, all the when when we look at the projected win totals here, it is it's kind of a mess. You know, there's uh, uh, not a lot separating these teams, so it's a, a bit of a free for all. Uh, even though you know there are some teams that obviously have distinct advantages, but we will get in that to that as we go through these teams. We are going to go in alphabetical order, so this is not in a you know, worst to first, first to worst, nothing like that. We're strictly going to go alphabetical. And that means we start with Charlotte. Uh, and last season, constant schedule disruptions and a shoulder injury to quarterback Chris Reynolds led to a disappointing year, two and four, two and two in the conference. After uh, 2019's uh, seeming breakout, uh, our official record prediction has them at five and seven, three and five in the conference. DraftKings win total has them at five. Also, we have them only favored to win in two, but with talent edges in three. So, Nick, please uh, give us a preview on what to expect from Charlotte in 2021. Yeah, Charlotte was a team that dealt with, as you mentioned, more disruptions really than just about anybody in, in certainly Conference USA, one of the more uh, disrupted schedules in the country. So it's difficult to get a real read on uh, how well, you know, Charlotte played for most of the year. And part of that, as you mentioned, was Chris Reynolds quarterback, significant, you know, shoulder injury. He was able to play through it, uh, but really kind of limited him for, for most of the year. But looking at 2021, Charlotte is 118th in our current preseason power ratings. Um, as you said, we're, have them favored to win two games, uh, talent edges in three, but because we calculate the individual winning percentage of each uh, matchup, that totals to, we expect about five wins on average. So they're, they're expected to be really competitive in a lot of games. They are uh, playing a lot of toss-ups. They're underdogs by just a small portion and in a handful of different games. So we do expect Charlotte to be really competitive in the conference. 
Looking at their roster, they rank 104th in our overall roster strength rating. That's 94th on offense and 109th on defense. They rank 110th overall in returning production in our returning production calculations. Uh, that's 92nd on offense and 116th on defense. Last year, they finished with uh, a team performance rating of 104, so 104th in the country in team performance on the field and using advanced statistics. Uh, they were the 80th best offense in the country, the 70th, 70th ranked uh, passing offense, 89th rushing offense, and their offensive line ranked 111th in our O-line performance ratings. Defensively, they really struggled, ranked 117th, which was the worst in Conference USA in our defensive team performance ratings. Uh, the pass defense was decent, ranked 56th. Uh, the rushing defense, 96th. But the defensive line, our, our D-line performance ranking, uh, was 116th, so uh, almost worst in the conference, just a couple of spots ahead of Middle Tennessee there. Head coach Will Healy ranks 108th in our head coach ratings. That's a weighted average of historical team performance ratings uh, specifically for the head coach. Um, their offensive coordinator ranks 61st using the same methodology and defensive coordinator 122nd. Uh, going position by position at the roster, Chris Reynolds really is, is you know, the strength really. Uh, overall, Charlotte ranks 60th in our QB unit rankings, which is by far their uh, highest rated individual unit at running back. They rank 122nd. They lost a couple of uh, you know guys who got undrafted free agent spots at, at the running back position in Trey Harbison and Chris McAllister. Uh, the receiving core should be a relative strength. They rank 87th in uh, our receiver, wide receiver and tight end rankings led by Victor Tucker, an all-conference USA performer. The skill positions as a whole rank 99th nationally, but the offensive line, a little bit of a concern, ranks 117th. The defensive line similarly uh, ranks 113th, one of the lower rated units in Conference USA. And with a 105th ranked linebacker core, the front seven ranks 114th nationally, which is in the bottom three in Conference USA. Uh, their secondary, they rank 97th in the defensive backfield, and that back seven ranks 103rd in our overall uh, position unit rating. So those are not you know, terribly uh, behind most of the competition in Conference USA. You mentioned that things are really, really tight as far as our projections go. Charlotte looks to be a, a competitive team, and they do have – strength at the quarterback position, especially with Chris Reynolds, assuming he's fully healthy. Uh, so I, I do expect Charlotte will be competitive, could be in the mix for a bowl game. But uh, as we said before, only favored to win two games and really the only talented, uh, only, you know, the more talented roster in three games, uh, they're going to have to pull a few upsets to get to that mark and, and to get bowl eligible. Xavier, what do you think about the schedule here? How does that look for Charlotte? And is this something, you know, is the schedule looking doable for them to improve on how how they were last season? Well, I mean, we've already talked about the fact that we think, you know, five wins, I think, would be uh, one heck of an improvement. Uh, but non-conference-wise, they don't have a very favorable schedule. Uh, you know, they have to go and play Duke. They go at Georgia State, at Illinois. Uh, those three games alone aren't very, you know, aren't very favorable, favorable excuse me, for them. Uh, luckily for them, they don't uh, have to see UAB this year. 
so they don't have to see any cross conference, which is a good is a positive for them uh, this year. But they do obviously have to play Florida Atlantic. They get oh excuse me, they get Louisiana Tech on the road this year. They do also get Marshall at home. That's a positive as well. We talked about last year's Marshall defense obviously being as good as it was. I think this is a team that when we look at their schedule and we look at our you know our numbers, five wins is more than than you know favorable for them. Uh, I think that's maybe a little bit you know, doing a little bit too much, in my opinion. You know, I, I, you know, you, they also have Western Kentucky on the road, who last year was obviously a bowl team. So that's going to be tough for them. This is a team, for, in my opinion, that's going to have to have the ball bounce the right way in a lot of these games for them to win and get to that five-point margin that uh, DK has them at. Uh, you know, we talked about their team, and they dug in the transfer portal heavy. Uh, they bring up, brought in 12 transfers this year from a wide range of places, uh, Eastern uh, Easter Carolina, Florida, Purdue, Arkansas, Kansas, Iowa State, Iowa, Notre Dame, Troy, everywhere. You name it, G5, P5, they brought them in this year. Uh, on top of the 18 commitments that they had out of high school this year, they ranked 108th nationally, 7th in Conference USA, which isn't great. It's a down from being third the previous year. That may be due to a lot of the turmoil that Nick was talking about uh, and alluding to at the beginning uh, of what he was saying. Uh, but, you know, five wins for me is a bit of a stretch. I would be more comfortable saying three or four when you look at their schedule, to be honest with you. Um, but I know what DK says. I know what our numbers say. I'm going to trust the numbers here. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were to go under, in my opinion. Now, Nick, when we look at Charlotte just uh, overall, you know, like Xavier said, it not everything is adding up to a very favorable season for them, but we know this is a team that can surprise because they have before. Obviously, Chris Reynolds coming uh, back fully healthy is a big part. Uh, the offense looks good. Obviously, they're going to have to replace the running back position, which is big for their offense, but they return three starting offensive linemen. Uh, a lot of the receiving options have been there before as well. But the defense is a big thing, and as Xavier mentioned, they bring in a lot on – uh, as far as transfers go and stuff like that. Can we see them make an improvement to be well ahead of this five wins? Or do you think five wins, like Xavier said, is probably about as expected and you're not going to gamble on them making much improvement? I, If, if I were to guess, I, I think that five wins is a little on the high side, honestly. Um, because they're only going to be favored in a couple of games, according to our projections. There's so many toss-ups in there. Uh, our stats-only model really, you know, is, is uh, not not a fan of Charlotte. They only are, are favored in one game. Uh, looking at our Prism uh, projected scoring margin stats-only model, so they're really going to have to overachieve just to get up to that five wins. That that you know, includes multiple upset wins. And it's possible because Charlotte certainly uh, made a lot of strides in 2019. Offensively, they should be dangerous. Uh, you know, uh, Shadrick Bird, it, it seems, is going to be the starting running back. He's a transfer from Iowa. Uh, you would have to think that he's going to be able to come in and, and help, you know, make up some of that production that was lost at that position. Uh, and they're pretty – you know, despite a, a, a low ranking in, in returning production, they're not a whole lot of major holes, assuming they hit with some of those transfers coming in. According to our you know depth charts and our FBS team profiles, we expect two transfers to start 
on the defensive line. We expect uh, two transfers to start in the secondary. They're going to have, you know, two others probably going to be, you know, called on as major contributors in the two deep defensively. So, you know, looking at, at a 116th ranking in, in defensive returning production. And yeah, those guys are talented. I mean, Joshua Bailey's a transfer from Iowa State. Kofi Wardlow's a, a transfer from Notre Dame. Jonathan Alexander from Kansas State. But to, to really rely on all of those guys to play big time roles is, is tough. You know, the transfers certainly can come in and contribute, but it's difficult to hit on every single one. And I think for Charlotte to overachieve our projection or our projected win total, you know, those guys will have to go above and beyond. Plus they're going to have to get, you know, Reynolds to stay healthy and he runs a lot. So it's, it's not a surprise that he spent some time, you know, a little bit banged up in the past. Victor Tucker is an excellent receiver, but, you know, Reynolds is going to need time to throw. That offensive line ranked 111th in our O-line performance rankings. They're also going to be relying on at least one uh, projected starter who's a a transfer, TJ Moore from Florida. So, you know, a lot of things have to come together, and it's, it's just difficult for me to imagine everything kind of lining up perfectly enough for them to overachieve, but Conference USA is so wide open. You know, I wouldn't be shocked if they get to a bowl, but I, I think a lot of things are going to have to line up and, and, you know, go really right for them to get there. Yeah, it's uh, Xavier, it's just kind of asking a lot for all of the stars to align for Charlotte, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and we're not, we're talking about all the, you know, all the stars aligning for them and for that to also happen, other teams that we feel more confident in everything we have to fall apart for. So, you know, it's not just them, the stars aligning. Everybody could play great, but if, you know, uh, FAU, who we're going to talk about in a second, plays up to their ability and plays up to their talent level, that could be obviously a negative, a net negative for them as well. So it, it's a it's a, a microcosm of things that have to go right for Charlotte to become bow eligible. And I don't, I, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, so let's move over to FAU and uh, just starting with them, the Owls, Five and one under new head coach Willie Taggart to start the season last year, but injuries and uh, you know just kind of a sputtering offense led them uh, to finish with three straight losses, five and four overall, four and two in the conference. Uh, we have their projected record at seven and five. DK has the win total at seven and a half. We have them favored in eight, and Town edges in eleven. So looks like a decent bet here, Nick. So uh, tell us your thoughts on FAU for twenty twenty one. Yeah, you expect that they are going to have to be better on offense. I mean, this is a team that uh, under Lane Kiffin in 2019 averaged 36 points a game. Last year, that total basically, you know, that average was cut in half. And so, you know, they, they played really solid defense, but just weren't able to get going offensively and and eventually just sort of ran out of steam really kind of uh, you know stumbled at at the end there but on paper as they often do FAU looks really good in in our mm-hmm. roster strength ratings they rank 93rd overall which is you know not the highest in the conference but it is uh in the upper half and you know they're 92nd offensively uh in roster strength 85th on defense and that number actually has a chance to rise because right now we don't actually uh, take into account Achilles Leroy because last I checked, he wasn't on uh, the roster. He was academically ineligible in 2020, didn't play, but he'd be a hundred rated player 
based on his performance and, and uh, you know, the way we do our individual player ratings, his experience and performance all, all totals up. He'd be one of the best players in Conference USA. So it sounds like he's coming back. A lot of the preseason magazines expect he will be back, but until he's officially on that roster, uh, we haven't put him back in our depth charts and our ratings yet. But assuming he does come back, you know, FAU on paper will be an even more talented team defensively but uh they're still very experienced they're in the the you know top three in conference usa in overall returning production they rank 23rd nationally according to our uh calculations they actually have the most experienced offense seventh in the country in offensive returning production uh and they're 50th on defense and and that includes you know 10 starters so uh it's a really high bar this year to be among the top you know returning production uh overall, but uh, defensively, especially. So they are top 50 nationally there and, you know, just have a a lot of players coming back. Team performance, they ranked 92nd last year overall, 115th offensively. That was the second worst in Conference USA. Their passing offense was 118th, also the second worst in the conference. They could run the ball, you know, pretty well. They ranked 61st nationally. That's in the top half of the conference. And their offensive line actually performed pretty well, 44th in our O-line performance ratings. And it should get a little bit better because they brought in a a couple of transfers there who could uh, end up, you know, playing significant roles. Defensively, you know, this was one of the better defenses in Conference USA. They ranked 33rd nationally in our defensive team performance rankings. That was third in the league. They were 17th against the pass, 44th against the run, and the defensive line uh, ranked 60th overall. Basically, you know, just over that, that top half line in Conference USA. Willie Taggart ranks 89th overall in our head coach ratings. That's actually, you know, the fourth highest rating in Conference USA. A lot of that is, you know, team performance ratings that he put uh, together at his previous stops, had some good results at USF and and, uh, Oregon. And even though Florida State was a a bit of a uh, disaster, still, you know, was able to put team performance ratings on par with most uh, Conference USA teams there. So he ranks decently well there, but they do have a new offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. Uh, They rank 104th and 78th, respectively. On the roster, quarterback is going to be a major, major issue. They bring back, really, you know, had two kind of co-starters last year, Nick Tronti and and Javion Posey, but they brought in multiple transfers as well. Nikosi Perry from Miami, we think is is the front runner to start, but they also do have Michael Johnson Jr. from Penn State, who who came in first as a transfer, and just so happens that his father is offensive coordinator Mike Johnson at FAU, new offensive coordinator. Throw in the fact that Willie Taggart Jr. is also on the quarterback depth yeah. chart. That's there's some interesting you know things going on that that we can't quite uh, quantify on. Well, paper, if Perry so. wins, there's no nepotism there. We know that, <laughs> right? Right. So that's that's certainly a position to watch. But uh, running back, they've got a lot of options. They rank 83rd nationally, which is in the top five in Conference USA. Malcolm Davidson was banged up last year. James Charles is a returning starter. Larry McCammon's coming back as well. He was injured, and they add Johnny Ford, a transfer from USF. So that's one of the deeper running back units in Conference USA. They rank 94th 
at receiver, 91st in the skill positions, 88th on the offensive line. And then the defense, everything's just a basically a tick better at each level. They rank 85th in our roster strength ratings for the defensive line, 87th on linebacker. And again, if Leroy comes back, that's going to be a, a good bit higher, probably in the 60s or 50s, which would be one of the better units in Conference USA. They rank 92nd. Uh, when we just look at the front seven, 79th when we look in the back seven, because their secondary is, is you know, in the top quarter of Conference USA, they rank 58th overall uh, as far as our uh, defensive back roster strength ratings go. Xavier, I mean, the schedule has got to be interesting for FAU as their talent edges in 11 games. And also they bring in a ton of transfers specifically on the offensive side. So right. uh, tell us about FAU. Yeah, you know, the, their schedule outside of really the first game of the season looks very favorable for them. They play Florida to start the year off. Nobody, you know, it's not ever fair to play the, your SEC counterpart in your state. Uh, first game on the road as well uh, in a night game. You know, just a culmination of bad decisions. Uh, but, you know, from there, you know, they get a Georgia Southern game, which I think is going to be a really good barometer barometer game for them, as I think Georgia Southern will be a better team this year. Um, you know, then they play Fordham at Air Force, uh, which I think is a, is a fun game for them to go play in Colorado. Uh, I don't know how many kids on their team actually get to travel to the West Coast that far. So I think that's just going to be a really fun trip for them to take. Uh, but that's also going to be another game for me that I look at right before uh, they start conference. They do have to go at UAB. I think that's going to be a, a really good game to see how good this FAU team is going to be within the conference uh, this year. As we know, UAB, one of the more talented teams in, in Conference USA. After that, their, their, their schedule for me after the UAB game really just opens up, and this is where they really should dominate. You know, Charlotte, UTEP. Uh, Marshall, Old Dominion uh, at Western Kentucky. We did talk about just how Western Kentucky is a, is a competitive team, but I think they should handle that. And then finishing the year uh, versus Middle Tennessee. Uh, so really, I, I'm, I'm looking for them to kind of run the table after that October 9th game against UAB. It, it, that then follows a bye week for them. So they're able to kind of prepare for that last home stretch uh, against their uh, conference opponents. Uh, but if they can manage the, you know, the, uh, the non-conference schedule or non-conference part of their schedule well um, and not, you know, trip up against a Georgia Southern or against an Air Force. This is a team for me that I think runs the table and absolutely can finish with uh, 10 wins this year. Uh, I know that we have talent edges in 11. Uh, I'm not confident saying a team in Conference USA is going to run the table like this and go 11, you know, and, right. and go 11 wins. Their only loss coming to Florida. Uh, but I would say 10 wins is what I'm comfortable with. Uh, you guys alluded to their transfers. Yeah, I mean, and Kosey Perry, for me, obviously, he's got to be the biggest name that they brought in this offseason. Um, obviously, the four-star coming out of high school didn't you know, reach the potential in which he may, uh, people thought he might have at Miami. You guys alluded to what is going to be, a, at least at the very least, a fun quarterback room to pay attention to this year. Uh, I still think it's his job to lose. I think he's the most talented out of all of the guys there. However, we all know how how it works. You know, college football is, is a weird thing, and he may not be the one that ends up starting to start the year off. But I think if they can figure out the quarterback situation and they figure it out before the season, you know, I, I, if anybody's listened to the podcast, I'm not a big proponent of trying to figure out your starting quarterback as the season progresses. One quarterback playing and being the, the, the number one starter is, is better than trying to figure it out. Um, so if they can figure out that situation, I think they very well can be a 10 win team. When you look at the schedule, like I said, if they can get through the, the non-conference schedule without tripping up against a Georgia Southern or at an air force, uh, this is a team that, that, you know, I think could absolutely, you know, go and run through their conference outside of possibly the game at UAB. What do you think, Nick? I mean, you know, F FAU, very interesting team. Defense seems to be solid. 
uh, offense is questionable. And that is the question that we got from a listener is uh, he just wants to know about the FAU quarterback situation with Nikosi Perry. And are you buying or selling FAU as a whole for this year? I'm, I'm really torn on FAU. That quarterback situation is, you know, going to make or break the team, obviously. Uh, Nikosi Perry coming in is a relatively highly rated player for uh, Conference USA and in our individual player ratings. He's an 85, uh, is the most experienced guy on the roster, uh, you know, was a starter in, in parts of multiple seasons at Miami, uh, could never really you know, nail that job down fully, but you have to think probably gives them the best chance to win immediately, but you've got a returning starter. You've got another guy who played a lot of snaps for FAU last year, another transfer, you know, former four-star guy in Johnson, who's one of the coach's kids. The head coach's kid is involved, even though Taggart played uh, receiver, you know, towards the end of the year a bit, you know, probably will again some in, in 2021, but that's just a lot going on. And, and it's really hard to know how it's all going to shake out. And, you know, Perry looks good on paper. If, if we were to give him this job outright in our projections, FAU would, would climb a few and they might, you know, move from a field goal favorite in a couple of games to closer to a touchdown favorite. Uh, but because I can't quite trust that he's the guy, you know, he, I don't believe is even on campus quite yet. So, you know, I have to think that it's potentially going to be one of those ongoing uh, battles into fall camp, maybe into the start of the season. And to be quite honest, I really don't like the way, the, the non-conference schedule and in, in those opening few weeks really set up. I, you know, I don't think that they're going to get, you know, much confidence from that game against Florida. We have Florida favored by more than three touchdowns. Uh, Georgia Southern is always a tricky opponent, has an opportunity to kind of play keep away and, and really limit your uh, possessions on offense. That could, you know, stop the offense from uh, being able to, to build some momentum, some confidence. And then two weeks later against Air Force, the same thing. So, you know, the three of those first three opponents are really going to be difficult. They might not, you know, know who their starter is uh, for the first couple of weeks. And then, you know, they, they open Conference USA play against FIU, who, you know, looks like a, a weak opponent, but that's a rivalry game. And, you know, it's, it's you might not have everything settled. You haven't uh, faced kind of a normal looking offense uh, very often to, to that point because you've had to prepare for the triple option at, at Georgia Southern, a different type of uh, option for Air Force. You know, you're coming off of a really long road trip out to Colorado Springs. So I, I know, you know, what the, the projections say, favored in eight games, most talented team in 11 games. Even the stats only model has them favored in, in seven or more. So I, I you know, our predict, uh, our predicted uh, record being seven and five, you know, being a, a CUSA East division contender, I understand it, but man, there's, there's a lot of factors that our numbers can't quite quantify that, that really make me a little bit concerned. So I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to buy FAU. I know that for sure. I'm not ready to sell them because the numbers are so much in their favor, but they're a team that I'm, I really just kind of wait 
you know, want to wait and see. I want to wait and see what those first three or four games looks like. So I, I certainly not jumping in on a, you know, over seven and a half or, or even an under, you know, I'm not, I just, it, it's not really something that I feel confident in enough one way or another. I kind of want to see how things play out, see how that quarterback situation shakes out and then, you know, see how that kind of funky early schedule uh, looks, but they'd certainly, I think, have the talent to compete for the conference USA title. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they win it all, but uh, I, I also wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there's some, uh, locker room issues, some coaching staff issues that kind of just, you know, make this a, another disappointing uh, finish to the season, somewhat similar to what they had last year. Xavier, you seem a little more in on them. Is, is am I am I saying that right? Yeah, I, I I agree with Nick on what he was saying about having to face different offenses could be something that doesn't allow them to ramp up fully defensively before the season starts. When I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking strictly from a talent perspective. Yes, Nick's absolutely right. Playing Georgia Southern is tricky because of the fact that they're you know a team that key, it plays a lot of keep away that also plays to their detriment a lot of times when they do play some of these more high powered offenses because then they can't come back in those games. Same thing goes for Air Force. When Air Force plays a lot of these high-powered offenses, if they get down early, they don't have the stuff and they don't have the play calling to get back into these ball games. So it's a catch-22 with both of those games. Um, you know, as much as the Florida game is going to be an absolute blowout, I do still think that there's value when you play an opponent like that. Trust me, been blown out before on national television. We There's takeaways from even losing to a really, really good team the first game of the year. And more than anything, that kind of game allows you to see who was scared and who isn't to play in those type of big atmospheres. Because once you play a big team on the road, first game of the year, everybody's going to be hyped because obviously the fans are back this year for college football. That year, You're going to see who's got the chops and who doesn't very early on at the quarterback position, at you know anybody who's transferred in, uh, and, and anybody who's in the, uh, any of your younger guys who haven't been in big games like this. You're going to know from day one these guys either have it or they don't, and they and what an atmosphere to, to challenge that in you know in Gainesville. So that is something that yes, where you're absolutely right about these games, these non-conference schedules possibly being something that ends up becoming a hindrance by the time they get to their conference schedule. I think more it'll be more so of a positive because they're going to be able to build confidence even from a loss to like a Florida uh, or a game where they're playing a triple option team like a Georgia Southern. And uh, with that, we're going to move over to FIU. And FIU is one of the more interesting teams to me as far as our numbers go because they started three different quarterbacks last year. They were 0-5, 0-3 in the conference. Devontae Price is coming back. They're big-time running back and his offensive line. And they have a good returning defense as well. We have them projected at five and seven. DK has their win total at four and a half. We only have them favored to win two, but we have them with talent edges in nine. So, Nick, explain FIU to us. Yeah, it's this is this is somewhat similar to the way FIU's projections looked last year, if I remember correctly. And, uh, you know, we talk about talent edges. If you haven't heard us uh, describe that before, that's our, our projection model if we strip out every other factor other than just talent numbers. So our, our roster strength uh, numbers where we take, uh, you know, individual player ratings and, and weight by uh, their talent coming out of high school, but add uh, 
production and and also wait for experience, but then just raw recruiting numbers as well. So we cobble all those together and, and get a projected point spread that's talent only. And then when we talk about Prism or our stats only model, that's the same idea, but where we only look at uh, statistical factors, things that happen on the field in recent seasons. So FIU traditionally under Butch uh, Davis, I always want to say Butch Jones, under mm-hmm. Butch Davis uh, has one of the most talented teams in Conference USA. And, you know, looking at talent as the only factor, being a favorite in only nine games, you would think this is a team capable of contending for at least the East Division, if not Conference USA as a whole. But each of the last two years, FIU's play on the field, their team performance just hasn't, you know, uh, risen to that level of talent. You know, what are what are what their team looks like on paper. So I'm not at all surprised that they're only favored in two uh, games. You know, coming into this year, team performance last season. They ranked 120th overall, 122nd on offense, and 120th passing offense. They ranked a bit better defensively, 80th overall, uh, had a a decent uh, pass defense, ranked 41st. But, you know, this is a team that lost to an FCS opponent. They just really struggled. I know they had a lot of uh, scheduling issues. They, they certainly had uh, some COVID issues that, that caused some disruptions. Uh, so, you know, didn't seem like they had a fully healthy team the entire time, just about. But we've seen this now at least two years in a row where they look one way on paper and just haven't been able, you know, to win games. And, and so I, I, I do think that. Uh, you know, having them as 119th in our our preseason power rankings might seem a little low based on the talent on hand because they do rank, you know, 89th nationally in our defensive roster strength. That's in the top half of, of Conference USA. Offensively, they only rank 116th, but they've got one of the better running backs in the league in, in Devontae Price. They've got, uh, you know, arguably one of the better offensive lines. They will be relying on a couple of transfers probably, but still, you know, was a good unit last year and and looks to be uh, another good unit um, heading into this year. But, you know, uh, again, that, that team performance number really gives me concern. And just the fact that they are not living up to that talent uh, level, you know, Butch Butch Davis ranks 117th in head coaching rating. This is a guy who a couple of years ago looked like uh, he had kind of found the fountain of youth, was taking FIU to bowl games, but is just consistently not living up to that level uh, of talent of what we expect. They have a new offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. I'm intrigued by the hire of offensive coordinator Andrew Briner. And he's a guy who's off the Joe Moorhead coaching tree uh, was a former head coach at Fordham. I believe he took over from Moorhead there has, you know, been with him in the past. And I'm a little, you know, I'm intrigued as to what that means for FIU's quarterback run game. Every preseason projection basically that that I've seen has Max Bortenschlager expected to be the, the starting quarterback, but Kalen Wiggins, who has some starting experience has played was one of the three quarterbacks who started for FIU last year. He really kind of fits what I envisioned that Joe Moorhead system being. And I think if if he were to be the guy, 
really is somebody that they could build, you know, that, that offense around the, the quarterback run game and you've got price and you've got a pretty good offensive line. They've got some weapons and, you know, especially at the tight end position looks pretty good. They brought in a couple of transfer receivers and Tyrese chambers, Randall St. Felix, formerly of USF. Plus they bring back, you know, former starters, Bryce Singleton, Shamar Thornton, who was injured last year. They've got some pieces offensively and it could be a really good offense, but I think they need Kalen Wiggins to, to kind of be the guy to lead them there because, you know, right now with Bortenschlager and Wiggins slashed in our, our QB uh, depth charts, they rank 119th at that position. I think Wiggins is the kind of guy who can sort of play above what his individual rating is because he has that uh, extra athleticism and, and really can kind of, uh, you know, cover up maybe some mistakes, make, uh, you know, be a weapon that is difficult for uh, opposing defenses to defend more so than Bortenschlager is. So I, I think that that number might be slightly misleading, but could help FIU for once, I think, to, to maybe at least live up to its talent numbers, if not surpass it a little bit, if, if they were able to, to get that offense going with the new offensive coordinator with Wiggins down there uh, behind center, because, you know, defensively they look okay. One of the better secondaries in conference USA one of the better defensive lines. They rank 75th in the country in our defensive line ratings, uh, 54th at, at defensive back. And then they're in the top 100, uh, you know, at linebacker and, and in the front seven. So a decent defense, but they've got to, you know, really sort of raise, uh, bring that offense sort of up to, to that level. And I, and I, I think it's, it's possible they could get there. Uh, but, you know, just the, the track record, does definitely give me some some pause. So Xavier, I mean, this a very very interesting team here. You know, a uh, a boatload of talent, but only favored in two games. So uh, got to be a rough schedule, right? We're talking about the Tennessee of Conference USA. You thought you thought I was going to somehow not put them in here. Uh, it's all <laughs> the talent in the world, but we don't think that they're going to be able to, to to maximize that talent and turn it into wins. I, when you look at their schedule, for me. I, there's a game for me on the schedule that I think, you know, if, if you don't know what to do with your September 18th night when they play Texas Tech, you're going to be watching just, I think, maybe one of the best shootouts of the first three weeks of college football between these two teams. Uh, I, I think Texas Tech will ultimately win this game. But when you're talking about two, you know, niggas alluded to how good their offense can be. This is this is a game for me, Texas Tech against FIU that could just be, you know, a, a 55, you know, 38 type of game, just a pure shootout. Uh, but outside of that, their non-conference schedule isn't terrible. They start with Long Island and Texas uh, State, both at home. I think they should start off well with those two. After that, they do get Texas Tech and Central Michigan on the road. Uh, and that's when, you know, absolutely, Scott, to, to, to what you said, they're not, their conference schedule, excuse me, gets pretty difficult. Uh, you know, they get Florida Atlantic or on the road. They do get Charlotte at home and West, Western Kentucky after that, but then they get Marshall on the road. Uh, they get Southern Miss on the road. I think that a lot of their bigger matchups in Conference USA this year just happen to be on the road, which is obviously not a good thing, uh, you know, for anybody, let alone a team that we are, are expecting to maximize their talent, but we're not too sure of and has been pretty shaky when we're talking about, you know, uh, the coaching decisions. And, and we're not 100% sure on what they'll even look like offensively this year. We can have an idea, but we're not even sure yet. Uh, when you talk about their recruiting, they didn't dig into the transfer portal a little uh, as much as the two teams we've talked about already. Just getting five, just bringing five transfers in, and, and really only, in my opinion, really one of, of major note, and that was Jeremy Passmore, defensive lineman from Indiana. Uh, but outside of that, 
They brought in 16, uh, obviously 16 high school students uh, ranked fourth in the Conference USA. That's what they ranked last year, so staying pretty even keel there. And 85th nationally, uh, which was uh, eight spots lower than what they were in 2020, but We've talked about that in previous The national rankings this year is a little bit weirder, especially with the lack of ability for teams to go out and physically recruit this year. They kind of had to do it from the seat of the uh, from home. So it was a little bit harder for them to kind of make those connections with maybe, you know, with higher recruits that maybe they would have gotten in the past. Uh, but like, like, like I said, FIU for me, I see them as a four win ball club. You know, D, I would go under four and a half wins, which is the DK win total that they're that we're, that they're given. I just don't think that their schedule fits for them for them to get any confidence going. We talked about that with FAU a little bit, uh, where we were a little bit worried about you know maybe a sputtering start could lead to, to you know a tumultuous season. That's kind of how I feel more so about FIU. There is no room for like a confident. There are two back to back just bad games. They go from good team to bad team, good team to bad team, good team to bad team. And with that up ebb and flow, it, it just doesn't lend to a team that's going to need to pick up confidence, especially an offense that's in the in the first year of a brand new offensive coordinator is going to need that kind of that confidence to move from week to week. They're not going to get it uh, playing, you know, playing talent and then not. So I think four wins is what I'm comfortable sitting at. So I would actually go under what DK have them at. Yeah. And Nick, I think the question here with FIU is, is there upside? And I think, like you said, when you look at the talent as a whole, there is definitely upside. I mean, you can see it on the roster physically, but uh, I don't think that it is upside that I would bet, especially right now, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think I have to agree. Um, I agree that there's upside. Four and a half is is a lot for a team that went 0-5 last year. That I, I remember at times, uh, you know, as, as the games were happening, especially as FIU was losing to FCS Jacksonville State, you know, there was a discussion, is this the worst FBS team in the country in 2020? And a lot went wrong for them. Uh, it, it's certainly, you know, small sample size, injuries, other health issues there. You can make a case, talk yourself into, OK, the 2020 FIU team was not what we're going to see in, in 2021. So, you know, we should expect a bounce back. But going from 0-5 to five wins is going to take a lot. And just based on, again, that team performance really not living up to the level of the talent that they've got on hand, I just don't think that they're going to be able to, to get there. And, you know, our projections, our three different models are kind of all over the place as low as two, uh, you know, have them favored in two games officially talent edge is in nine, but then the stats only model right there in the middle at five. I just, I, I, I really would rather see, some agreement to, to be able to, to, to think, okay, we've got a good read on this team, but the three different ways that we look at, at each team and, and for those projections to be so far off added in with all the uncertainty I've got at quarterback and, and, you know, I'm not sure they're going to pick the right guy. Uh, I just, I don't think I can trust FIU. So I would lean toward, you know, me personally thinking that that they're probably going to have four or fewer wins, but I don't necessarily, I'm not confident enough in that to 
to go out and say that, that yeah, they're definitely going to underachieve because they've got talent. So is there upside? Yes. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be able to capitalize on that upside. Yeah. And Xavier, you said you probably wouldn't be messing with them uh, at this number, right? Absolutely not. Nope. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Short coaching, coaching's got to get right. You got to get right. You got all that talent. Like you called them the Tennessee of Conference USA, Xavier. So uh, let's go over to uh, Louisiana Tech at this point. And look, Louisiana Tech last year, they had injuries and opt outs uh, really hurt them. They kind of limped into a five and five record, four and two finish. But uh, a couple losses here, they were outscored 90 to 13 so did not live up to expectations for 2021 we have them uh at a six and six record the uh dk total is for uh four and a half so maybe a little bit more bettable number than fiu here we got them favored in eight uh town edges in seven and what do we think about louisiana tech going into 2021 nick Louisiana Tech's going to be a, a team that tests us, definitely. And, and they did a little bit last year, too, because it seemed like every week when we were doing, uh, you know, weekly game previews and, and, you know, saying where all our three projection models uh, lined up, it seemed like every single week Louisiana Tech was a team that we were, you know, saying all three agree, we're, we're, we're on it. And, and, you know, it didn't kill us. They certainly did underachieve in some instances, uh, but – you know, they had a couple of, of lucky wins and we were able to, to you know, be on the, the right side of, of some uh, fortunate bounces uh, at times last year. But going back and, and looking through the team performance ratings, Louisiana Tech was a lot worse in sort of the advanced box scores than I remembered, you know, watching throughout the year. And they're absolutely, as you said, were, were injuries towards the second half of the year. They had some guys with, you know, some NFL aspirations decided to, to uh, step away at, at the running back position, the receiver position, and, and really kind of limited their offense. And then, of course, you know, uh, Luke Anthony, who started most of the year at quarterback, did alternate a little bit uh, at that position, but had a gruesome injury uh, at, towards the, the tail end of the year that, you know, really kind of put an end basically to, to that offense being uh, dangerous at all for the most part. So they were so shorthanded, got completely blown out by two uh, superior opponents there at the end. And, you know, it, it, once all the dust settled, they ranked 109th nationally in, in team performance. And that's, you know, well in the bottom half of Conference USA. And for a team that was a bowl team with a 500 record, that's a, that's a bit surprising. Uh, they ranked 113th in offensive team performance that, you know, they weren't really <laughs> better on one side, you know, passing offense was 97th. They were 112th rushing the offensive line ranked 108th in our O-line performance, which was, uh, you know, one of the worst in, in conference USA and defensively, you know, a little bit better, 90th in our overall team performance. 114th against the run was a major issue. They did have some promise against uh, the pass. They ranked 73rd, and the defensive line ranked 77th. But you know, none of those team performance ratings are what you would expect from a team that looked like you know towards the very end of the uh, the regular season they were in the mix for the CSU. Uh, excuse me. Uh, 
CUSA West division, right? You know, they were right there with UAB for most of the year and just kind of fell apart there at the end and, and were so shorthanded. But uh, going back and really, you know, diving into that, they were they were pretty disappointing. And usually, you know, Skip Holtz has, has been uh, a, a decent coach. He only ranks 109th in our overall head coach ratings. But, uh, you know, Louisiana Tech found a way to win some games last year, and they've done that year after year. I was flipping through the Feel Steel uh, magazine, and, and he mentioned in his uh, little blurb at, at the front of the C, uh, Conference USA section that he gave, uh, gave Louisiana Tech a bump, uh, a spot or two, because Skip Holtz always seems to get a little bit more out of the team than, than what they look like on paper. And our, our numbers, because we you know incorporate past year's data as well in our, our weighted team performance uh, part of our calculation, they kind of agree. And so, you know, we're, we're looking at talent edge. Yeah, they're favored in seven games. We're looking at uh, just our overall official projections where we incorporate everything favored in eight games. So when the win total is four and a half, you know, we would say they'd have to be upset four times to, to come up short. So that's an automatic bet in, in my book. Now, do I trust it? Not really, because Louisiana Tech, again, wasn't a very good team last year. And those guys who were off to you know uh, pro football, they're not there anymore. Luke Anthony, probably the best quarterback option that, that they've got on paper. Not even 100% sure he's going to be ready to go at, at the start of the year or, or you know that he'll be back at all maybe. So I, I, I certainly am concerned. There are some nice pieces. They bring back Smoke Harris, who's showed some promise as a receiver, all-conference USC kick returner. They had a, a freshman All-American linebacker and Tyler Grubbs. Uh, B.J. Williamson's been a Conference USA, all-conference USA uh, defensive back. But, you know, they lost Milton Williams, who is one of the most athletic defensive linemen we've seen in, in a very long time. I believe he was the highest-drafted Conference USA player last year, the third round uh, by the Eagles. So, you know, they've got some big miss. Uh, they're they're – they're missing some key pieces. They lost some some uh, very important players from a team that really didn't play all that well to begin with. So while I do think Colts has you know uh, at least a proven track record of getting a little bit more out of his team than than what we might expect based on the the underlying numbers, I think it's possible that they just kind of you know fall off completely and and. 2021. So I'm, I'm concerned. Our numbers look like, you know, four and a half over four and a half is good. Uh, but you know, I, I I'm going to be, I'm going to be sweating it a little bit. I, mean, I, I don't, I don't necessarily trust it, but you know, uh, with our numbers being so, you know, much higher uh, on, on the projected, you know, number of games favored, it, it's unfortunately, we're just going to be, you know, on Louisiana tech a lot again in, in 2021, like we were in 2020. And this schedule, Xavier, looks like it's a tale of two halves. You know, it looks yeah. like it opens up real rough and then gets uh, much, much smoother on the back end. Oh, yeah. It's a hellacious start. Uh, you know, uh, Mississippi State, SMU, NC State, just to, <clears throat> you know, that's three out of your four non-conference opponents right there. That, that's a tough way to start any season for, 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 for really anybody. Um, you know, outside of maybe your top 25, top 30 teams in the country to go to an SEC opponent uh, on the road that didn't play a high powered 
uh, what has been a high-powered offenses at SMU over the last couple of years. And then they get an NC State team on the road who we expect NC State to be a little bit better, you know, to be a, a team that's better than they were last year um, as well. But that's that's hellacious to start off. And then, you know, you, you get your biggest matchup of the year against UAB on the road. Uh, I would like to see UAB schedule right now. I've been seeing a lot of on the roads for them when they play a lot of these conference opponents. So I, I want to see how many home games they have in conference right now. But, yeah, I, I think I agree more with Nick. You know, uh, I'm, I tend to not look at last year's numbers down the stretch as a barometer of what the team may look like going into the following year. However, theirs was just really daunting and really scary. And even though they were able to finish as a bowl team, I think that causes a lot of people to be probably feel a little bit more comfortable about them. Uh, I am not that comfortable when I feel, when I look at Louisiana Tech. Uh, you know, for me, the, the schedule – and like I said, with FIU doesn't allude to much confidence being built in their first five weeks because, yes, in between Mississippi State and SMU, they get southeastern Louisiana. And in between SMU and NC State, they get North Texas. But that's in between. So if you're if we're just going based off of that, that's at best two and three to start your year off at best. You know, I could very well see them being one and four after that, you know, after that, for those first five games. And then you're just looking at trying to, 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 to scratch together enough wins to become bowl eligible at that point. And I don't think they're going to be able to get that done. I think at UAB is obviously a daunting game. I think at Rice t- towards the end of the year, maybe they're there. They're, you know, if they were to get bowl eligible, that would be the game. It, it would come down to the last game of the season for me. Going to UTEP is never an easy game. And having them and UTSA back to back, not going to be fun for them either. And that's coming right off of the back of playing at NC State. So I don't really like their schedule, how it's built uh, for them. Not much confidence being able to be built into a team that's going to need it. When we look at their, uh, when we look at, excuse me, their recruiting, brought in seven transfers, pretty big schools in which they brought them in from. You've got the likes of Tennessee, Arkansas, Vandy as well that were brought in, App State to uh, another one with Marcus Williams Jr., who, I was, who should uh, get playing time this year. But they didn't bring in a lot of high school recruits. And I wonder if that's due to, you know, them trusting in the guys that they already have um, or if it was just a, a due to COVID. But, you know, only bringing in nine high school students that signed a letter of intent total with the transfers is, is 16. That, that's not a lot for a recruiting class. That's why they finished 119th nationally. That's why they finished ninth in Conference USA after finishing sixth the year prior. Uh, so for me, that's that's even a bit of a concern as well, uh, that they weren't able to, you know, uh, you know, replenish uh, after, you know, a year full of injuries and opt uh, injury and opt-outs. They weren't able to necessarily replenish that in the recruiting trail. Uh, so I'm with Nick on this one. I'm not confident in, in this Louisiana Tech team. Uh, the numbers for me feel a lot, you know, feel a lot like, uh, and I give Nick a lot of crap for this, but they feel a lot like uh, USF, uh, you know, a team that, you know, we numbers-wise, very favorable. They look great. Uh, but then, you know, on our side, we're a little bit more squeamish and, and not too confident. Well, at least I wasn't that year. Nick was a little bit more confident than I was, but a little bit more squeamish on, on what they what they look like uh, coming into 2021. Yeah, and I think the, the question here is uh, where are the upsets going to come? And because if if they have a couple of upsets, I would say that, you know, as you mentioned, Xavier, you know, uh, Mississippi State, SMU, NC State, I don't think they're going to get uh, an upset <laughs> in any of those games. So uh, they're going to beat their FCS opponent uh, here in uh, whoever it is, uh, Southeast Louisiana. I, I think that's a W. After that, I think every game is, you know, just a little bit better than coin flip odds. Yeah. Uh, you know, where 
they're either a little bit favored to win, a little bit favored to lose. So this is this is the most jumbled team that we might see in all of the previews, right, Nick? Yeah, it definitely is. And and Xavier does like to bring up our 2019 USF uh, projections, which we I find we, a new analogy. <laughs> no, hey, you know it's it's a lesson learned, and and we did change some things after that year because we, you know, they were a team that went really hard in in the transfer portal. Their talent numbers looked really good compared to a lot of teams, and and it led us astray. Uh, so you know, Louisiana Tech could have been that sort of disaster type season last year and and ended up, you know, we were somewhat fortunate where they won looking looking back at the postgame win expectancy numbers from from collegefootballdata.com, uh, their two their last two wins easily could have been losses. They had a, an overtime win, upset win against UAB that they were uh, if you look back at the advanced box score, expected to have a 17% uh, chance of winning. The next game, which they didn't play for four weeks, uh, they they went to North Texas and won a game where they had a 30% uh, post-game win expectancy. You throw in they also won a, a one-possession game against UTEP. UTEP was driving with a chance uh, to potentially win that game at the end. I just watched a replay of that a couple of days ago. Uh, and, you know, they, they got that win in kind of an ugly game. Uh, they beat Southern Miss by one to, to open the season. And even though they had, you know, a, a projected or a postgame win expectancy of over 50 in both of those games, they were far, far from dominant. And we were talking numbers in the 60s and 70s. So, you know, Louisiana Tech absolutely could have crashed and burned, but they were able to hold it together. You know, is that coaching? Maybe, you know, but uh I, I don't know that we can expect them to be that fortunate again in the future. So when I'm looking at coin flips, and Scott, you're absolutely right that uh, you know, we've got them favored against North Texas by one, a little over one point. We've got them favored against UTSA by less than one point. We've got them favored against Rice by less than two points, you know, and and the old Dominion, basically a field goal. So those are absolutely winnable games, but I think you're you're absolutely right that you know after that Southeast Louisiana game, every game on the schedule I think is a losable game as well. So right. you know we we were fortunate last year. Louisiana Tech was fortunate last year to win a couple of games that statistically they probably shouldn't have. And does that luck even out, or are they able to you know slightly overachieve again in? in 2021 our numbers you know give us enough of a cushion like i said it, it's just an automatic bet of over four and a half just because every single you know favored they're favored in eight games talent edges in seven and stats only model in five you know that that doesn't absolutely guarantee that that they're going to get to that you know fifth win but when all three of those models line up we've got a pretty good pretty good history in that situation. So I don't feel great about it, but it's an automatic over four and a half. And, you know, we just kind of have to trust or, or, you know, at least hope that uh, Skip Holtz can, like Phil still said, you know, maybe just worth a, a, a place or two higher just because he seems to so always just get a little bit more than what we might expect based on the roster. Yeah, Xavier, I mean, you, your thoughts on Louisiana Tech and you just can't bet this number, right? I mean, you can. 
<laughs> I'm not saying, you know, hey, hey I'm not talking, you know, I'm not taking uh, saying anybody doesn't bet their money, but I would not personally bet this number. Uh, I just don't feel confident enough. It about- is in my betting game. See? In our betting See? game ledger. See? Louisiana Tech over four and a half, uh, risking 250 to win 200. So I, I did. I, mean, I, I trust our numbers, but I okay. don't feel great about it. <laughs> We've talked about. <laughs> Four teams up until this point, and only and we and we've pretty much taken the under on everybody except for FAU. Somebody at a conference USA has to win over four and a half games, right? Like there's gonna be there's gonna yeah. have to at least be at least three, possibly four bowl ga- bowl teams out of this conference, right? There's gotta be just by law of averages. So somebody's gonna have to do it. So you can play it on that way if you wanted to. All right, let's go ahead and move on over to Marshall here, who won the East. They started seven and zero. But then the offense just took a complete nosedive, lost their final three games. It cost Doc Holiday his job. So just not a great finish to the season, obviously. But we have them projected at eight and four, five and three in the conference. Uh, you know, the, the number is eight and a half. So we have them a little bit uh, under. We do have them favored in 11 games, but only talent edges in five. So this is yet another Conference USA team, and I said this at the beginning of the show, that is a little bit confusing in what to know, what to expect here, and a new coaching staff and everything there too. So Nick, tell us about Marshall. Marshall, for me, is a very difficult team to figure out. And, you know, on paper, it it looks like the new coaching staff and and, uh, Charles Huff is, is inheriting a pretty good situation, a division, you know, championship uh, team, a talented roster, uh, a track record of success. Last year, they ranked 32nd in overall team performance. And that's actually, you know, moving in an upward direction, believe it or not, for, for somebody who ends up losing their job in Doc Holliday. And I know where there are some other, uh, you know, outside factors that, that, uh, were involved some administrative stuff and even some political stuff, it sounds like. But, you know, Marshall, the last five years, has ranked 52nd in our five-year weighted average team performance. They ranked 43rd in our three-year weighted average. And then last year to get up to, to 32nd, I mean, that's that's trending in the right direction. This was a team that spent time in the top 25. They were division champs. Early in the year, they looked great. Uh, defensively, they continued to play really, really well all year. This was the number one team in the country in our rushing defense team performance. They were the number six defense overall. Uh, offensively, at the start of the year looked great. Grant Wells, you know, ends up being a, a, an All Conference USA uh, level quarterback, but he, you know, his play really uh, fell off at the end of the year. Was a big reason why they struggled. Down the stretch, he what threw five picks against Rice when they got shut out in that uh, that first loss, and so you know there there certainly is some reason to be concerned because offensively they ended up finishing uh, you know decent on paper, forty seventh in offensive team performance, fifty second passing offense, thirty sixth rushing offense, and they really got great offensive line play ranked third in our O-line performance ratings, but there was such a downward 
uh, trend from where they started, just looked absolutely phenomenal in, in week one against an FCS opponent, of course, but, you know, just seemed to, to play a little bit worse week after week after week after week. And then it all fell apart in that Rice game and, and they just weren't able to get it back. But, you know, this is a good defense. They do, uh, you know, lose some key players, but this is a team that, you know, defensively at least, there's a lot to like, I think. Marshall's got three All-Conference USA defenders coming back. They've got Grant Wells as a Conference USA quarterback. You know, two receivers have earned Conference USA recognition. Tariq Keaton, mostly on special teams, but tight end uh, Xavier Gaines, who does a ton of different things, runs the football, plays a little Wildcat quarterback. You know, is is one of the more targeted receivers that they've got. Plus, you've got. Uh, left guard Alex Millette, who's one of three returning starters. They've got you know four guys with extensive starting experience. Five, if you count Billy Ross, who's a transfer from North Carolina. So even though they did suffer a big, big loss, uh, two big losses really on the offensive line with Josh Bell getting drafted in the fourth round, and then Kane Madden, who looked like an All American, ending up at Notre Dame through the transfer portal. There, there's still enough coming back that we expect Marshall to be, you know, they are our highest rated conference USA team in, in the, in the preseason, they rank 58th in our power rankings. I'm very nervous about that because anytime you've got a first time first year head coach, you know, we were talking a little bit about Louisiana tech, you know, Skip Holtz has been uh, kind of a consistent presence has been able to get a little bit more out of his team each year. First time, first year head coaches, that that's a lot harder to do. Usually it seems, you know, anecdotally at least that uh, teams don't often, you know, it's a little bit of growing pains. There's a little bit of a bumpy road for most, not every team. And of course, another conference USA team we'll talk about later. UTSA had a great, uh, you know, got out of the great uh, out of the gate with a a great first year, first year, uh, first time head coach, but at Marshall, there's, there's a little bit of reason to be concerned, I think. Uh, but on paper, they look good. Favored in 11 games. So that means to get under the eight and a half, they're going to have to be upset three times. Uh, the stats only model, which takes into account a weighted history of the team the last five years, of the head coach the last five years, and of the coordinator the last five years, you know, that also looks great on paper in that stats only model favored in 11 games, as you mentioned. So, you know, part of that might be a little bit misleading because Charles Huff has spent the last couple of years at Alabama. So maybe those, you know, offensive numbers are, are a little higher than we might expect, but you know, with Wells, if, if he can uh, take a step forward in a second year as a uh, starter, you know, a quarterback, if that offensive line continues to get, maybe not top three uh, national type, you know, play, but still could be one of the best units in conference USA. And with some playmakers like Gaines, you know, uh, Huff is a running backs coach, Sheldon Evans or knowledge McDaniel, both of those guys have flashed at different times. So you expect they're going to be able to get something out of, of the offense. And then, you know, on paper defensively, I, I think they look pretty good. They they did lose Darius Hodge and Tavante Beckett, both of whom went, you know, as undrafted free agents, but 
like I said, with three returning all-conference USA-type players on, on defense, with the roster strength numbers looking pretty good on the defensive side of the ball, including uh, a secondary that ranks 27th. You know, I, I understand why Marshall, at least as far as our power ratings go, is the Conference USA favorite, is the team with the highest projected win total. We expect, uh, you know, seven, almost eight, 7.93 wins on average, 5.25 wins in conference. Both of those are the highest of any team. So, you know, I, I think that while I'm concerned about a first-time first-year head coach, I think they return enough and have enough of a track record that he's inheriting a, a pretty good situation despite the late season collapse that I understand why Marshall's the favorite. They might not get there. Maybe we should, you know, knock off a win just because of the coaching turnover. And so maybe somebody else sneaks in and wins the division, but it would not surprise me at all if, if Marshall, you know, not only gets back to the conference USA title game, but wins it in, in 2021. Yeah, and Xavier, looking at the schedule, I mean, looks like they're going to be favored in every game yeah. that's not App State. <laughs> I mean, it looks very favorable for them. You know, um, obviously, first game of the season at Navy is never fun to go play a team right. that runs that kind of offense. So, But at least they have the whole offseason to prepare for Navy. You know? Very true, very true, very true, very true. So um, so with the Navy game, it's not going it, to – you always have to give Navy a little bit more of a chance to win because of the offensive style in which they play. I still think they'll handle that game pretty well, especially with their defense. Uh, I think they'll still be able to handle that game pretty well. After that, I mean, NC, uh, NC Central, East Carolina, we talked about the App State game probably be, be, being their you know, the most competition they'll have, and especially with that being on the road as well. That's going to be just a really good G5 matchup. Uh, after that, man, I, you know, I will point to this part of their schedule, though. In November, they play Florida Atlantic and UAB in back-to-back weeks. That game, that that, that two week special right there for me could be tougher than I think maybe we're alluding on. Uh, you know, obviously UAB was a team that you know won the conference last year, uh, and we talked about how good Florida Atlantic could be at that point in the year. Just playing two competitive teams back to back, you know, sometimes teams end up become, being a little bit sluggish on the second half of that back to back with them having to play, you know, two really, uh, you know, two, two uh, games in which they may struggle a little bit. Those games are probably going to be their more physical matchups all year because obviously both teams are uh, as talented as they are. And that could be the part of the schedule, where, you know, where Nick was talking about, they're going to need a, a couple of trip ups. That might be a point that if you're looking to bet under, that would be a part that uh, that would be a part of the schedule that I would look at. Maybe they, maybe they miss out there because they do play FIU Florida Atlantic and UAB back to back to back. That could be a part of the schedule that they maybe they trip up here. Maybe they overlook FIU to get to Florida Atlantic or overlook FAU to get to UAB. And that could be a place in which they trip up. Uh, but I'm just pulling at straws uh, here really to see, you know, where where they would uh, struggle for me. I think this is a team that if I was a betting man, I would probably bet the over eight and a half. Um, you know, look at their you, – you could see the confidence in, you know, as I was kind of uh, alluding to earlier – the confidence in which they have by the lack of people that they brought in from the recruiting this year. They brought in six transfers, uh, you know, uh, Lee Anthony Williams, a cornerback from, from uh, Clemson, which was their biggest one, in my opinion, outside of maybe Shane Simmons, the D lineman from Penn State. Uh, and they only brought in 10 kids from high school. That shows you right there that they were confident in what they were bringing back. Now, granted, they also did lose their head coach in the offseason, so that may have lo- uh, uh, led to some of their uh, kids not coming to Marshall. Uh, but they also felt they probably could just, you know, 
hashtag run it back and have an opportunity to win uh, the Conference USA this year. I mean, just to give you guys an idea of what this team is capable of on the recruiting trail, they finished 10th in 2021. Currently, they're ranked number one in Conference USA going into 2022 for the recruiting. So if they really wanted to, they're showing the ability that they can have on the recruiting trail. Uh, they just obviously didn't, you know, didn't see the, the ultimate need to go out there and get too many numbers uh, on the recruiting trail this past year. Uh, but I like Marshall to go more than eight and a half. I like them at more 10. Uh, 10 wins is probably where I'm comfortable sitting at. I don't know if they're a team that will go undefeated, obviously. Uh, we talked about App State. We talked about their game against UAB. Uh, but 10 wins is, is more than plausible for this team that I think it is has a really good chance of winning the East again and winning the conference. Yeah, and and – Nick, I, I think that this is going to be one of the most bet on teams for this uh, eight and a half number here. Uh, I, I think that uh, people are going to look at this schedule. They're going to say, you know, this team is good. Yes, they have a new coach, but they're favored in 11 and the numbers eight and a half. I think we're going to get a lot of bets on this team in the preseason. It, this is uh, especially with that ske the schedule, you know, just based on yours being 121st. Uh, in, in the nation, so uh, one of the easier schedules it looks like. I think I'll bet on them in, in our game here. I think I'm going to put 500 on them to win, uh, to go over this eight and a half. Uh, so uh, let, let's let's do that. I'll, I'll play. That's my first. That's my first preseason bet uh, of the this season. So uh, I I really like Marshall this year. So I'm I might. Uh, are, are you are you doing it officially? Are you putting? It I'm going to I'm going to go 500 it? officially. Put it okay. in the book. So so okay. All right, it's done. Right, you made the bet. Hit yes. hit click. Hit send. Okay. I, one thing that that gives me pause, and uh, one one thing about being a, a Patreon supporter is you have a direct line of, of communication. Uh, you know, uh, we we've got some really really smart people who pour over all of our information dig in, give us all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, if we might have missed a player. I tweeted out something this week that we had a Patreon supporter who, who sent a DM. I got it at like 5.30 when I woke up in the morning and said, hey, I'm up at midnight and uh, looking at the ULM page, and I noticed that you missed this kicker they're really excited about, which I absolutely love. It was a great just the best note you get our Patreon supporters are the best because they're just into all the, the details. But so uh, a, a different Patreon supporter who I have a sort of an ongoing uh, DM conversation with uh, super smart guy, professional better is so anti-martial <laughs> that uh, it, it, you know, I, I won't give necessarily all the details, but there, there are some smart people out there who are ready to really fade Marshall and, and can give you know a list of reasons why uh, that that they're uh, you know going to going to definitely be under the win total, looking to to bet against them probably in in a lot of different spots throughout the course of the year. So I get it, and and I understand, and our numbers are certainly you know. Uh, pro marshal in, in a lot of instances, but this guy knows what he's talking about. And, and certainly it's just one person. And, and I do trust our numbers and, and uh, we've had a, a track record of success, but that gave me pause to, to know, you know, that this guy is, is just ready 
to to bet against Marshall. It seems like at every opportunity. So, well, I understand I, I get the, the whole poker <laughs> that goes on here. You know, you brand new coaching staff. Uh, still a weird off season for sure. Uh, you know that just the cratering last year too. It was rough to watch. So I completely understand that. And you know, in our hypothetical hypothetical game here 500 is not a lot so it's uh it's a low total which is if i'm gonna bet anything in the preseason because we've said this on this show and i've said on many other shows i don't particularly like betting preseason very much at all because i hate it when you know grant wells uh you know decides to leave the team now there's no way i would bet that number you know what i mean but i do want to get a little bit in on the action and i just i think this number looks low you know the schedule looks uh, somewhat favorable so i think i think i like marshall but i i totally get people being off i mean um where where do you stand on the fence here xavier are you uh pro or uh against marshall this doesn't sound mean i'm pro marshall because i'm against over half of the rest of the conference USA. <laughs> so, and then that's, and, and that's yeah. uh, another way to look at it is you just don't yeah. like the competition, you know? I, I think Marshall for me, you know, outside of possibly like we talked about FAU and UAB is, is, is the most talented and, and bringing back enough production for me that shows that they have an opportunity to contend. And yes, the coaching changes, you know, the coaching overall that they went through this off season, but they get a full off season to, to, to get it together, to put all the pieces together and, you, you can't, you know, as much experience that they have on both sides of the football, that's going to lend itself even with the new coaching staff. They have seniors, multiple seniors at every major position outside of running back. That tells me right there that they have that they know what they're going to be doing, regardless of who's, you know, who, who's controlling the headset. Uh, so that, that that's why I have a you know more confidence when it comes to Marshall. If they had a, a younger team, I absolutely agree with Nick. But with, with that much, when those many seniors on your team. They're not just going to all of a sudden fall to, you know, flat line next season. I just don't see it happening. All right. Well, let's run over to Middle Tennessee. And Middle Tennessee last year, I mean, disappointing is probably <laughs> too nice of a word. And slow start is probably too nice, too. Uh, they were rough to start the year. And uh, the defense wasn't great either. And Stockstill is definitely on the hot seat here. Uh, we've got them at 6-6. Six and six. Their uh, DK Wintel is four and a half. So it looks like this could be another bettable number. Uh, we have them favored in six talent edges in eight, Nick. So uh, what are we looking at for middle, middle Tennessee in 2021? I, I feel like I could probably record my response for, uh, you know, eight or nine different teams in, in this uh, conference USA preview and just play it back. The same is, is yeah, there's, there's promise, but, I just don't, I just don't really trust this team. And, and I think that's the, the situation with middle Tennessee last year, the start was about as bad as you could expect. I mean, I, I thought they were setting up for, you know, this to be the end of the Stocksville era, long time head coach there. Uh, I, I thought, you know, they looked like a team that could maybe go winless after those first few games. And I was really kind of surprised at, at how, competitive they were from you know basically week four on and won a few games they, they certainly weren't uh spectacular by by any stretch but they were able to turn it around and become a very competitive team and so that gives me a little bit of hope 
but they ranked 112th overall in team performance, 105th on offense, 103rd on defense, uh, you know, rushing offense, they ranked 102nd. The offensive line was a major issue. They ranked 109th in our O-line performance ratings. Defensively, you know, they, they were without one of their best players for, for a large stretch of the year. And in uh, Reed Blankenship, guy who was banged up and, and had sort of a uh, difficult, you know, time getting back on the field. But they were 121st against the run in our team performance ratings. Uh, the defensive line, uh, you know, also an issue. So the entire line of scrimmage, but they were 118th in our D line performance rating. So pretty, pretty ugly, you know, statistically in, in a lot of different ways, but you know, they do bring back a lot. This is a top 10 team nationally in returning production on defense. And they've got some really, Highly rated guys. They've got Reed Blankenship coming back, who is a uh, 98-rated player in our VGR Plus uh, formula. DQ Thomas, a linebacker, a 100-rated player. Both of those guys have been very, very productive over their career uh, there at Middle Tennessee. And they also really went heavy in the transfer portal. And so on, on the one hand... You know, as Xavier has already mentioned in, in this preview, that sets us up maybe for a situation similar to USF a couple of years ago where we're overrating them because they've got to rely on a transfer quarterback, Bailey Hockman, who, you know, has been a starter, was a starter at NC State, uh, was originally at, at Florida State. So a guy who's really highly recruited. He was a former Georgia commit. So, you know, a guy who's definitely well-traveled but has had some success and, and on paper, you know, he's an 83 rated player in, in our, our uh, ratings model. At the running back position, multiple G5, or excuse me, uh, Power 5 transfers and a returning starter in Chaton Mobley. At the receiver position, Jayshon Sheffield is, you know, an 80 rated player, former Auburn uh, uh, signee, over a 90 rating at, at 247 Sports when he was coming out of high school. Natori Johnson, a former Georgia signee, is going to play the offensive line really highly rated high four-star guy coming out of high school on you know on defense they're only looking at, at one uh likely you know contributors uh former houston baptist defensive back uh trey Llewellyn. but again you know they're bringing back enough guys on defense they've got starters at every level I mean, four returning starters defensive line two no excuse me three at, at linebacker and then four starters in the secondary so on paper they're bringing back their entire defense you know as far as the the, the starting lineup goes 97.7 percent of their overall uh defensive production coming back but again as, as Xavier said before you know if you're bringing back a ton of guys from a, a team that's not very good you know, he's, he's, he's certainly, I'll let him say it, but yeah, uh, yeah I mean, we're, we're talking about a, a, a defense that was a major issue. So how good, you know, do we expect them to be much better when, when all the same guys are coming back? Hopefully they'll have more, you know, better injury luck. They'll, they'll be able to all get on the field at the same time and, and all of that. But I mean, yeah, it's, it certainly is, is a little bit of a, a concern. So I wonder if we're maybe overrating middle Tennessee just a little bit. I mean, they're, they're not blowing anything out of the water here, but uh, they're 83, or excuse me, they're 96th in overall roster strength, 76 on defense, 
that's middle of the pack in, in Conference USA, but uh, closer to the top half, uh, really, than, than the bottom half. There's some different spots to, to really like. Looks like a top 50 secondary, top 60 linebacker unit, top 60 back seven. But again, you know, the, the team performance just wasn't there uh, last year. So somewhat similar to our conversation about FIU, where, you know, really talented roster, but hasn't quite lived up to expectations. So I, I, I'm going in, I think, with a little bit of a pessimistic uh, view. But, you know, on, on the other hand, they did turn things around a little bit last year. They, they didn't give up on the coaching staff. They didn't, you know, just mail it in. They certainly could have after, after you know, starting as poorly as they did. But they bounced back. They were competitive. They won some games, you know, that, that, maybe, uh, that maybe they shouldn't have. You know, the, the game against Rice, I rewatched that this week, and that game just would not end. But uh, they were able to somehow, some way, get a, a 40-34 victory in, in overtime. You know, they finished with a win over FAU, uh, a game that on in the box score, the advanced box score, they really kind of dominated, even though it was only a three-point win. They had a 94% uh, post-game win expectancy. So, you know, when you're finishing a season like that over a team that had been so good for, for most of the regular season, you know, uh, to, to win two out of your last three and three out of your last five – they, they brought in a little bit of momentum, and they're bringing in some talented guys, some guys who played at a high level. I was a big fan of, of Asher O'Hara at quarterback, but you know he was absolutely a, a scrambler, really a runner first, and, and the success that Middle Tennessee has had under stock still in the past has been more of a you know, pass first or, or at least you know, a little bit more of a pocket passer type guy than a, a, a scrambler. So, you know, maybe, maybe the, the change at quarterback will get them back into uh, a system that's a little bit more, you know, advantageous to, to uh, more comfortable for Stocksdale. They're bringing in a new coordinator, Brett Dearman, who's really kind of a, uh, kind of a coaching darling among high school coaches. He's in the Gus Malzahn tree. And, and though he didn't necessarily have, uh, good offenses at Kansas the last couple of years. There have been bits and pieces of things to get excited about, and schematically, a lot of people really like him, think he's got a, a very bright future, and has had a, a real, you know, had some explosive offenses in the past uh, at, at lower levels of football. So I could talk myself into Middle Tennessee being a bowl team, being a contending team, but I, I just don't really. I just don't really trust them. And, and, and that is something I, I have said, will say about a lot of Conference USA teams. But with that, you know, four and a half uh, win total that's posted, I, you know, even though we have 5.7 wins projected on average, usually anything over one, over one full win above, I will, I will say bet. But man, I just, I just don't feel great about, Middle Tennessee, I, 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 I just, yeah, I just, I just don't feel great about them. You know, I, I, six wins, yeah, they could get there. But then looking at the stats only model, we have them favored in three games. So, yeah, on the field, just hasn't quite meshed the last couple of years with the depth chart, with you know what it looks like on paper. And so, 
I I personally won't bet it, but it, it does line up the way our model sets up. Usually that would be a bet uh, since it's over, you know, one full win. Really what? Almost one and a quarter wins more. So on paper, our numbers think that Middle Tennessee, you know, has a decent shot. Uh, but uh, man, I just, I just don't trust them. Yeah. And, and that's very understandable. And looking at the schedules, Javier, middle Tennessee, it looks like, you know, the front, the front of, of the schedule, you have one toss up game with Charlotte. Everything else seems to be, you know, pretty locked in the last five is where they're going to make or break their whole season. Right? Yeah. Uh, you look at the, yeah, they started a year off with Monmouth, which isn't going to be a cakewalk, by the way. I, I don't want anybody to think that that Monmouth game is going to be an absolute, you know, cakewalk. That's going to be a game in which I think if Middle Tennessee is really, you know, a team not to be trusted, we'll learn it week one. Uh, then they go to Blacksburg the very next week to play Virginia Tech. Uh, UTSA, like Scott alluded to, uh, will, which will be their first Conference USA game. They get Conference USA like well before they finish their non-conference schedule. Uh, the rest of their non-conference is uh, Liberty and uh, University of Connecticut. Uh, I just don't see where they're able to put it all together. You know, I was going to go over. I was genuinely going to go over. Uh, and as, as I looked at their schedule, I was like, well, there's one, <laughs> two. All right. Uh, yeah, they should, be, maybe they should be UConn. That's three. And then I was like, okay, Old Dominion, uh, four. I couldn't convince myself that they were able to get to five. You know, and I, I don't, and you know, Nick alluded to it. This team is very talented, but when you, you know, and bring back a lot of returning production, my old term, old garbage just thinks more. I mean, it just is what it is. And, and you know, I will say this though, and Scott said it at the beginning, if they really love Stockstill, and if they love that head, if they love that coaching staff. You kids will find a way sometimes to keep around a coaching staff in which they really love. It's not always possible. It's not always feasible. But when, you know, Nick talked about their, their returning production and Scott talked about the fact that their head coach with another bad season is probably gone. They may find a way to, to, to get this, you know, get within a, within a game of bowl eligibility, maybe get, excuse me, two bowl eligibility, just based off of the strength that they don't want to lose their head coach. Um, I, we've seen it in the past. Teams come together for, for, for different causes here and there that propels them to maybe upsetting one or two teams that you're like, that shouldn't have happened. And, and you talk to the kids and they go, you know, we really just want to win this for X or win this for Y. Um, so coming into the season, they know. They know if they have another bad year like they did last year, that coaching staff is probably going to be – there's going to be some shakeup there at the very least. And, and they know that. So that that might be one of the – you know, if you're going to hold on to anything from Middle Tennessee, that might be one of the things you hold on to if you're betting over. Uh, when you talk about their recruit uh, – you know, Nicola alluded to the, the kind of transfers that they were able to bring in. I think Billy Hoffman is going to be somebody that's really imperative for them. If they're going to – if they are going to go over, I think, he, you know, his ability to, you know, to be a pocket passer has to has to be – you know, you know, what propels them, you know, when their offenses were great, when they were a pretty good team in conference, you would say it was because their offenses were pretty high powered and that's going to need to happen. Now, granted, he's got, uh, he's got four seniors in his receiving core. So it's not like he doesn't have guys who understand, you know, what they need to do uh, from their job standpoint and understand what they need to do from the offense. So that should help him in the transitional uh, aspect of it because he is transferring in. So to learn the offense and have four seniors uh, and a senior and two, three seniors, excuse me, in your running back core, that should be able to also help you out when it comes to learning the offense. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with Nick here. I went down their schedule. 
four wins is all I could really guarantee them. So that's all I would sit with. I wouldn't bet the over on them. And I would, I, I would stay firm at four wins actually being what I would be comfortable with. And we have a question from Eddie here in our Patreon. Remember, uh, patreon.com slash college football winning edge or CFP winning edge. Excuse me. Uh, what can we really expect from middle Tennessee without O'Hara and, uh, you know, Astro O'Hara has been leading this offense for a while. They bring in Bailey Hawkman. Uh, do you see a improvement? Do you see it just being completely different, which can lead to some struggles? What do you think, Nick? I, I think it could be a positive. And I, I really did like Asher O'Hara. He's one of my favorite, uh, you know, CFF uh, quarterbacks that, that we spent a lot of last offseason talking about, you and I, and, on uh, the ITL show. And, you know, as, as a dynamic runner, he was very exciting. Uh, but he just, you know, the offense didn't really – click with O'Hara wasn't consistent enough. He wasn't consistent enough. Didn't take care of the football a lot of times, uh, you know, especially early in the year and lost his job for, for, you know, a brief bit during that opening season losing streak. And, and though he, you know, he improved and, and got better as the season went on, obviously something just wasn't quite right. And, and ends up uh, moving on to an FCS uh, opportunity. So, you know, uh, that, you know, I, I will, I think, miss watching him play, certainly. But I think Bailey Hockman fits more what, what Stock still really, you know, feels comfortable with, wants to do. Uh, it would have been fun to see O'Hara in, in a Brent Deerman offense and sort of that, you know, Malzahn style of, of things. Maybe he really could have uh, taken his play to a new level. But Hockman, you know, will be a little bit more – won't be just taken off and running uh, immediately. Should uh, utilize the running backs a little bit more. Should be a little bit more patient in the pocket. You know, maybe a little bit more uh, accurate, a little more, uh, you know, polished as a passer. And perhaps that's just what Middle Tennessee needs. Maybe that's just what, uh, you know, a, a Brent Stocksill uh, coaching, you know, a coached team needs. So I, I I don't know that it's like a significant improvement, but I think that we'll see you know a, a good bit less quarterback run, uh, uh, more you know a, a a more consistent passing attack. I'm not sure that equates to you know a ton more points, a ton more yards, and, and all of that. I think it will kind of wash out for the most part. But I think overall, it's a slight net positive uh, Bailey Hockman as opposed to Asher O'Hara. And Xavier, are you are you on that too? You think uh, this is going to be a net positive with Hockman taking over for Asher O'Hara? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think we saw enough at NC State to show that he has the talent to do so. He wasn't always consistent at NC State, which is why he ended up moving. But I think he showed flashes while at NC State that he could absolutely be your starting quarterback and not just be uh, a game manager, but be a guy who can actually absolutely win you a ball game. So I think we are seeing a net positive with uh, Bailey Hockman taking over for uh, Astro Hera. 
And let's go over to North Texas. And this team seems like, you know, they're going to have a bettable number. And and last year, uh, they, and I think probably this year again, they lived and died by the big play. Uh, They were four and six, three and four in the conference. They lost in their bowl game. Uh, But we have them at six and six projected this year, four and four in the conference. Their DK number, though, is four. So that's a difference of two. We have them favored to win in six. Talent edges in nine, Nick. So uh, North Texas, hard to pin down, but I think this is a bettable number. What are you What are you looking at for North Texas in 2021? I, I agree. And, and in our in our betting game, I, I did put this in. Uh, North Texas over four for 250. That's actually at plus 105 right now. So that would get back 262.50. Uh, so, you know, Obviously, the market doesn't doesn't really agree uh, that North Texas should be over four there. And, and you know, uh, it, it's similar to the discussion we had against Louisiana Tech. A lot of the numbers are, are similar as far as, you know, games favored in. There's a good cushion there, six compared to four uh, on the DK win total. Uh, talent edges, again, very similar. We have them as the more talented team in nine matchups. Now, the problem, and this is something that I, you know, gave me real pause uh, in some of the teams we talked about earlier, is the stats only model does not like North Texas, has North Texas only favored in two games. And part of that is because they're projected to, to continue to have one of the worst defenses in college football. And, you know, last year it was, it was rough. I mean, they, they ranked uh, 122nd in our overall defensive team performance uh, rankings. That's the worst in Conference USA. Bottom, what, bottom six, bottom seven in, in all of college football. And, and for a team that went to a bowl game, that's a – you know, that that's a, a real rough number. That's winning a lot of shootouts uh, or, you know, games that they won. And obviously they got to a bowl with a losing record and were blown out, gave up 56 in, in that bowl game. So that certainly factors in. But uh, that's not what we expect from a bowl team. They were 120th against the pass, 128th in our rushing defense team performance. That was the worst in the country. Remember, there are only 128 teams that played last year. So, uh, the you know, that, that's as bad as it gets. The defensive line, even though they do have some talented players on the defensive line, 114th in our D-line performance uh, rating. So, obviously, with numbers like that, it's not a surprise that they brought in a new defensive coordinator, Phil Bennett, who's been out of football for the last, what, three, four years. Uh, last we saw him was as uh, Todd Graham's defensive coordinator at Arizona State in 2017. He was, uh, prior to that, spent some time at Baylor. So he's a guy who has been out of it a little bit, but but has a lot of experience, former head coach at SMU, knows the area, you know, has coached at a high level. But we expect Again, North Texas to be one of the worst defenses probably in, in college football. I, I don't have our official stat projections completed yet, but our, our first run through and, and when I was looking at the Conference USA totals, we expect North Texas to give up an average of 37 and a half points per game. So we actually think that they, you know, they might actually get worse <laughs> in 2021 than they were in 2020 when they were one of the worst defenses in in college football. So that said, 
you know, why why would I have an automatic bet basically to to say over four? The offense offense is probably going to be pretty good. You know, the the offense might not be quite as explosive as it was last year. We do expect a, a small uh, regression as far as you know points per game, but they're still expected to score over 30 points per game. They still have a lot of talent. They did lose Jalen Darden, who uh, one of my favorite players probably in all of college football to, to watch last year, an All-American receiver, ends up you know going in the fourth round uh, to Tampa Bay. But they bring back you know, DeAndre Torrey, who, who's certainly flashed at times as a running back. Sounds like he's going to play uh, in the slot some as well because they've got Oscar Attaway III, who, you know, going into his sophomore year at 215 pounds, big back who's uh, had some success. So you get both of those guys in the mix, plus Jair Shorter, who's, who's going to step up as that number one target for Darden in, in place of Darden. Deontay Simpson was very explosive last year. I feel like he's really kind of flying under the radar. People aren't really talking about uh, Simpson very much, but he averaged, what, 20, uh, 20 and a half yards per game, 20.68 yards per catch, I should say. Uh, he was targeted you know, over five times per game. And when you look at Darden, who was targeted over 12 times, per game and averaged only 16 yards per reception, you have to think Deontay Simpson's in a position to, to have a bigger role. Plus they've got an athletic tight end in Jason Pirtle, and they added a former four-star uh, Georgia recruit in Tommy Bush, who's at, you know, six, five, almost 200 pounds, if not over 200 pounds now, you know, that that's a, uh, that's a good receiving core, even losing an all American. They rank 62nd in our wide receiver and tight end unit ratings, which is the best in Conference USA. So, you know, they did lose Jason Bean, who's a part-time uh, starter, was a dynamic runner. He's off to Kansas as a, as a transfer. But Ostinani has starting experience, had some success, and they brought in another transfer, Jace Reuter, to mix in with, you know, other transfers that, that are in the mix as well, Armani Gilmore from Kentucky, and, uh, you know, Casey Martin returns as a, a backup as well. So I think they're going to get good quarterback play. Their offensive line was really pretty decent, ranked 35th in our offensive line performance ratings last year on paper looks to be you know a top 75 unit in the country so i i think that they're again to win going to have to win shootouts but i think they've got enough weapons on offense that they're going to be able to get there and and yeah the stats only model really doesn't like them but talent wise they look pretty good on paper and then when we incorporate all the factors you know, it, it sets up it sets up decently well. It is a tough schedule by Conference USA uh, standards. It's the nine our ninety third ranked schedule, which is the highest that we've talked about thus far to, to this point. And you know, really only only one other Conference USA team has a clearly tougher schedule, and that's UAB. But we're still only talking about four wins. And I, I do believe that this is a team that could get to six. Yeah, they might, you know, the defense just continues to get worse. The offense doesn't click because, you know, for, for whatever reason, that's absolutely possible. I, I, I am not guaranteeing uh, by any stretch, but I feel comfortable enough in what the numbers 
say and in sort of where I where I see uh, you know some some holes being filled, I see enough that I that I do feel confident in this so far of any team that we've talked about. I feel like I've got the best read on North Texas. And I feel pretty confident that, that they're going to be going over four. And, and you know, I won't be at all surprised if they're in a bowl game again. Yeah, Xavier, looking at this uh, North Texas schedule, um, you know, it, it, it plays a lot like the last one we looked at, where mm-hmm. the beginning seems pretty set in stone, but it all looks rough outside of week one for them. <laughs> and yeah. the second half is where uh, they can, you know, really b- build on some wins and make a break for a bowl game. But that beginning schedule just looks too rough. Yeah. Well, I mean, once again, we're talking about them having to go to SMU. I think it's the second or third team we've talked about going to SMU. Um, you know, then they play UAB at home. It's still going to be UAB re- regardless of home or away. They get at Louisiana Tech, we just talked about. Uh, and then they go at Missouri uh, uh, on October 9th, which is, is they get a bye week to prepare, but it doesn't really matter uh, because of that game. And then they kind of go on a, you know, Marshall, Liberty, uh, Rice. And really, when you're talking about the schedule, Scott, October 30th, probably October through November is where they win or lose their season. You know, they play Rice, uh, Southern Miss, uh, UTSA, or yeah, UTEP, excuse me, uh, and then FIU and then UTSA to finish out the year. That back half of the schedule is where they're going to have to, if they're going to be bowl eligible, and if they're going to go and, you know, pick the over and, and, you know, get to that, you know, get more than the four wins in which DK has them at and when you get to the five and a half that we have them at, excuse me, I think they absolutely could do so. Um, and it's going to be tough down the stretch. And especially without with having an early bye week, that concerns me a little bit. Uh, their, their bye week would be, I think that's October 2nd, you know, so they would play eight straight games. And that's a little bit of a concern down the stretch as People get tired, and I'm really, and I've t- I've said this, and I've touched on this in a couple of podcasts. How kids are going to play the year after coming off of a year where they didn't play a full season, uh, and then how much longer are are some of these seasons going to feel when last year you played, you know, nine games or ten games or eight games, or for some, you know, conferences they played four games, and now you're play, playing a full twelve game season. I wonder if the season is going to feel a little bit longer than what it did last year. Uh, for for some of these kids, especially those of who haven't been in uh, in college football for a very long time, uh, but but I think they get over their four wins. I, I would bet the over here. I think their schedule lends to them being able to build some momentum on the back half of the schedule um, and, and running and out, running the table, uh, winning. I think they could win you know three of their last five or four of their last five down the stretch. Uh, play when they play Rice, uh, Southern Miss, uh, UTEP, FIU, and UTSA. I think they could win four or five, or at least three or five out of that one. And obviously, we talked about them beating Northwestern State. They're already at four wins at that point. I think they can get that fifth win this uh, this year. And so I would bet the over. Uh, you know, you guys hit, alluded to them in the transfer portal this year. I like the transfers that they made this offseason or that they brought in this offseason. They also brought in 18 recruits from the high school, so bringing in a grand total of, I think, 28. Uh, they had one hard commit too, so possibly 29 kids uh, coming into the school this year. Uh, so I, I think they used the you know the recruiting uh, re- they used recruiting to their strengths. They finished second in conference USA this year uh, after finishing second the year before. So I like what North Texas has going on. I think that they improve upon what they were able to do. La- they improve upon what they were able to do last year and get to five wins. Um, do I think they're both eligible? I think they can get there. It would just take for them to have an upset win. 
over a team like a Liberty uh, or a Marshall. And I just don't know if they're that good just yet. But five wins, absolutely. I would bet the over for this team. Nick, in general, uh, do you think that having the easier games on the back end of the schedule is better because maybe your team is a little more banged up um, and now you have the easier games or would you rather play the harder games later because your team has gelled together and is maybe clicking a little bit just as far as general, uh, you know, because this is the case for North Texas that we're talking about. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good question. It's something I think about fairly regularly because my I think my default position is I would rather easier games up front. And, and that's difficult for most conference USA teams. It's difficult for a lot of G5 conferences just in general because, you know, you're playing some buy games early on and in uh, bigger power five opponents on the road, all that stuff. It's it's it is more difficult to, you know, see an easy easing into the schedule. Like oftentimes, you know, maybe an SEC team plays an FCS opponent and then a G5 opponent and, and kind of eases into their schedule, can figure out the depth chart, can get a little confidence, momentum, all that. It's, it's more difficult to do that in Conference USA. But I think that's what I would prefer. I, I think, you know, starting three and one, four and one, and then getting into that you know conference schedule where you feel like all right we we've we've got some experience under our belt we've had some success these games are winnable you know we can go out and, and build upon this carry that momentum through and have a really special season it, it's you know if you go out and beat FCS Northwestern State yeah you know that that's a uh, that that feels good. You, you maybe, you know, get your quarterback situation figured out, have a couple of playmakers set up. Maybe the defense gets a little bit of, uh, you know, positive uh, momentum in that game. But if you get blown out by SMU, who we expect to be one of the more explosive offenses in college football, going up against probably one of the worst defenses in college football, you know, SMU might score 70. And then that right. confidence is just shot. Are you going to be able to get it back when you're playing UAB, the de- you know, defending champs, uh, won two out of the last three conference titles. Uh, when you're playing Missouri, an SEC team on the road, when you're playing Liberty and Malik Willis, who we think is going to, you know, potentially be one of the best statistical, you know, have one of the best statistical seasons in college football and a team that's capable of winning 10 or, or 11 or 12 games, you know, that that's tough. And, and to, to see, uh, more talented teams, arguably, or, or, you know, to see a team put up 40, 50, 60, and for it to happen multiple times, as it looks like, you know, North Texas would be in danger of happening uh, before they get to November. And then we expect they'll be, if not a coin flip favored in, in you know, those last four or five games, you know, by the time that rolls around, will they still be favored? Will they have been putting up, you know, such bad team performance ratings that we just, you know, they're not the the more talented team anymore, according to our numbers, or they're certainly not uh, playing as well. So I, 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 I think, you know, I don't like, I, I don't like the way the schedule sets up necessarily. It's going to be difficult if the defense continues to uh, play at a, a you know pretty poor level. I think it's going to be difficult to come out you know with the best uh, 
uh, effort, whether it's confidence wise, whether it's injury wise, you know, depth chart issues, what have you, schematic potential problems, or, or you know, not believe players not necessarily believing in the new system. A lot of things could sort of creep in to make that last month of the season a lot more difficult than it looks like on paper right now. Xavier, are you are you with that? Well, what do you prefer, the hard games at the front or at the back of the schedule? Give me the back end. Um, I think that you take the easy games, build up that confidence, and you might be able to steal one. Um, I, I think when you have those hard games at the beginning of the schedule, you can demoralize your team if you get stomped into the ground too early on. Uh, you know, and, and it really is tough. You know, I, I know I crap on them a lot, but Tennessee did this a couple of years ago. Actually, they start off the year like oh, it, the year I think they lost to Georgia State. They start off the year like one and four rallied and were able to finish the year eight and four, if I'm not mistaken, or seven and five and get to a bowl game. Uh, but it was really, really, you know, but nobody cared at that point. You know, it was right. it was one of those situations where, you know, if you're able to get, you know, some momentum, you're you're three and oh, four and oh ball club, you start the year off kind of like a, a Indiana did this past year, right? They beat a Penn State uh, early on. They 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 and then they you know they built up enough confidence to compete with an Ohio State. You know, they didn't end up winning that game, but maybe roll, flip the you know rolls and they get stomped by an Ohio State in week two. And we're not talking about Indiana even possibly being a contender down the stretch you know, of, of the season. So I think, and not just only for the players, but from a narrative perspective, it's better to have them towards the end of the year when you're able to kind of you know walk into those games with a little bit more confidence and a little bit more swagger about yourself. Uh, all right. Well, let's go over to Old Dominion here. And, uh, you know, this is our – First team that didn't play last year, uh, the only team in Conference USA that, that didn't play, but they have a new uh, head coach, Ricky Ronnie. He's looking to rebound from that 1-11-2019 record for them. We've got them at 5-7, and seven, Nick. Uh, the DK number is 4. We only have them favored in 3 and talent edges in 2. So looks like it's going to be an interesting year for Old Dominion. Yeah, and I, I think pretty much like probably everybody else, uh, you know, out there don't really know what to expect from Old Dominion. Uh, new head coach. He's been there for over a year, so he's not new necessarily to the players. The kids, uh, yeah. They practiced all last year, but didn't play. And we haven't seen the new system with our own eyes. You know, we, we don't know if it is exactly the same Penn State system. Uh, we, you know, it looks like there's going to be a new quarterback. They do have uh, two other guys coming in with starting experience at Old Dominion, but DJ Mack, former uh, UCF uh, quarterback, probably is is going to be able to, to win the job. And, and uh, you know, if not, Hayden Wolf, Stone Smart, yeah, certainly have experience, but on paper still, it's, it's they rank 117th at the quarterback position. That's uh, third worst in, in Conference USA. The running back position, you know, looks like one of the worst in, in – college football on paper, at least 128th in our uh, unit rankings. But part of that is we just don't, you know, we just don't really know. We haven't seen uh, Lala Davis or Blake Watson, or, you know, maybe there's a freshman that has really been blowing up in, uh, you know, off season practice, spring practice, what have you, that, that we just, we don't really know about. So uh, it's, it's possible we're underrating that unit, but, you know, again, we, we just haven't, we just haven't seen them in over a year. At receiver, there's certainly some things to like on paper. You know, Trey Blunt's a uh, Georgia uh, former four-star signee. Looks like he's going to be a starter, uh, you would expect. They, they brought in a really highly 
uh, rated tight end transfer from Penn State and Zach Kuntz, you know, a 6'7", 250. I mean, that, that uh, again, on paper, sounds like an NFL tight end. So he could, you know, potentially be a weapon. They brought uh, other transfers in at basically – every level just about except at linebacker where it looks like another former uh, quarterback with starting experience, Stephen Williams looks like he's going to be a starting linebacker now. So there are so many different moving parts. They didn't get the benefit of last year's experience. So I'm actually uh, in our FBS team profiles, even though, there's the whole weird thing with the extra year of eligibility for the NCAA. And some teams are saying that a, you know, third year player is still a redshirt freshman or, you know, a second year guy might still be a true freshman or what have you. We went through and, and for 128 teams, we updated everybody as if 2020 were a normal year because we give a a little bit extra weight for experience. So a guy moving from a sophomore to a junior, his rating is going to go up a, a couple of points just based on, you know, all those practices he's going through and all those games. But at Old Dominion, yeah, they practice, but they didn't play. So my thought going in is they, they probably shouldn't get that experience bump. So Old Dominion and uh, UConn, you know, we, we just kept everybody's year the same because they, they didn't have that benefit of experience. So, you know, because of that, the roster strength might be a little bit lower than, than it otherwise would be. They rank 124th overall, 122nd on offense, 125th on defense. We gave Ricky Ronnie a, a generic 75 head coaching rating, which, you know, is 115th, but, you know, in, in all honesty, he could be 130th. He could be 80th. He could be the, the greatest first-year head coach we've ever seen. We just we just don't know. So there are a lot of unknowns. There's some guesswork. Transfers look good on paper, but as we've talked about with other teams, it can be a little bit hit or miss. You know, should we expect these P5 transfers, former four-star guys, high three-star guys who look like they're going to be starters, you know, are are they really uh, as good as as they look like in our ratings uh, formula? There's just so many unknowns. But the way the way they stack up, the way you know the the even though it's a bottom ten roster, even though uh, Old Dominion you know just doesn't have uh, a great track record of success, a, a head coach that we know much about. There there's possibly some upside and, and, you know, they, they do seem competitive. The schedule does set up to where there are some winnable games, you know, at home. Uh, There are some winnable games, you know, they go to UTEP, which might be one of the longest uh, conference road trips in, in all of college football, but that's a winnable game. We actually have old dominion favored in that game. You know, they, they play, uh, Marshall on the road. So we expect, you know, that's a game they'll lose, but they've got Louisiana Tech at home. We already talked about, we think Louisiana Tech looks like a bowl team, but that's a winnable game. You know, they're they're playing uh, FAU at home. That's a, that's a winnable game. We saw FAU lose to, to Middle Tennessee last year, late in the season when maybe they shouldn't have. They play Charlotte at home. That's a winnable game. Middle Tennessee on the road. You know, we already talked, will Middle Tennessee maybe spiral uh, at the end of, of 
next season. So even though this is a, a team that hasn't played a game in two years, that's coming off the, the last season they did play one and 11, you know, I could see a scenario where they win three, four, maybe five games. And, and that is actually what our official projection calls for is five wins. Now that seems at first glance to me way too high. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that's likely to get to five wins, but you know, things bounce the right way. And, and uh, maybe Ricky Ronnie is, you know, like I said, that, that next uh, up and coming head coach, maybe all the transfers hit, Maybe, you know, the team got really tight over, uh, you know, the last year. A lot of things could happen. I could see scenarios where they are a competitive team. I don't think they will be a bowl team, but I do think there's some reason to believe that this won't be one of the very worst teams in college football. I have seen, you know, some preseason things out there, uh, different analytic systems, different, you know, preview magazines and, and things like that, that put Old Dominion as, you know, in the 120s and, and maybe even 130 as far as uh, their their preseason rankings. We've got them at 113. That seems a little high, but I don't think it's crazy either. So I, I think Old Dominion might, you know, they might surprise somebody. They might win a game or two that we don't think they, they should win. Uh, will it shock me if they, you know, lose 10 games? No, but it also won't shock me if they win four. Yeah, and looking at the schedules, Xavier, it's not it's not horrific, but it's just you know, like Nick alluded to, so much unknown with this team. You know, uh, we've got them favored to beat FCS Hampton, and uh, then UTEP and Charlotte. So those are the teams that they are, <laughs> you know, penciled in. Yeah, penciled in to beat right now. Obviously, you know, uh, the Charlotte being the closest, probably a lock in FC in Hampton, and uh, you know, a little bit more in their edge against UTEP. Uh, And then all the other ones are are losses, and it's not a rough schedule either. It's just we have no idea what to expect, right? Yeah, and that's why I would stay far, far away from any from betting anywhere near this team. You just don't know. You know, you haven't watched them play football in a year. And, and, you know, unless you are completely tapped into what Old Dominion is doing from a practice perspective, it's really tough to, to, to you know, call what they're going to do. Now, you're right. Their non-conference schedule isn't hellacious. Uh, you know, it's tough. Don't get me wrong. But, it's, it's, you know, you don't have any games in there that I think they'll get absolutely obliterated in. Uh, maybe Buffalo. Maybe maybe Buffalo. Maybe Liberty. But I, I don't think they will get completely destroyed. And then their conference schedule for me is is rather is rather decent for them to get, you know, to that five five and a half win mark. Uh, I just I'm not confident in, in saying that I'm going to put money down on a team that I haven't watched football and watched them play football in here. I can't do it, you know. And uh, but but Nick really did, Nick did a, a really good job of trying to talk anybody who was on the fence into betting on Old Dominion. I mean, he pulled out all the if, ands, and buts that you possibly could. To, if you're sitting on the fence, you might be, you know, I, I don't want to take that away from him. So, you know, if you're sitting on the fence, I think Nick was, was a very, very, very persuasive in his conversation about Old Dominion. You know, and, and he, he hit on the fact that they brought in some pretty good transfers. And, and I think that, 
you know, for me, and we talked about this with the last team, you know, when, when you bring in 24 kids and, and, you know, they went from ranked 13th in the Conference USA in 2020 to 6th in 2021, that speaks to at, at least, you know, their ability to bring in talent and the talent that they are bringing in, uh, you know, hopefully it, it can, can you know, turn into wins. You know, I, I just, you know, at the end of the day, as much talent as they may have and, you know, as much time as, you know, that coach has had more time than anybody in college football to, to, to put in his, you know, plan of action and instill it over and over and over and over again. I mean, I know those kids are probably sick and tired uh, of hearing, the, the, you know, how much he's instilled into them over the last year. Uh, but, but with all those practice reps, you know, I'm a little concerned about the whole – remember when Navy practiced – all that time and, and they played their first game and they hadn't hit for such a long time that it was too late and then yeah. they got be obliterated. I'm a little bit concerned about that with Old Dominion. You know, when you haven't played in over a year uh, of contact football, hitting somebody other than your teammates, it's a little bit different when you finally get into a game and that guy across from you doesn't also have lunch with you after practice, you know, and actually wants to take your head off and, and you know, and things of that nature. So that for me is a little bit of a concern of how sluggish they may start. Uh, this year off, especially with them starting with at Wake Forest, Hampton, and at Liberty. Uh, but like I said, I will stay far, far away uh, from the four. Excuse me, I said five and a half earlier, but from the four uh, games that they have that uh, DraftKings has them winning right now. Yeah, Nick. I mean, I think that you know maybe for the professional professional betters, they're salivating at the uh, you know uh, chance to bet on Old Dominion or UConn. These teams that didn't play last year. Because, you know, they they have expectations. But I think everybody else, I just, I would refuse to bet Old Dominion or UConn. And it's not because they're bad teams that can improve uh, and didn't play last year. I think I would kind of be the same way if any team uh, didn't play last year. I just, we didn't see anything. So much has changed. Like Xavier said, there's, you know, the factor of these guys haven't been in pads for a long time too. So uh, I, I just don't think I would mess with them. Is that um, to you in general, is that a good thought process or do you see the advantage and want to go and play it? So I, I personally would just leave it alone. Um, our numbers do project an edge. And I mentioned you know, in, in other situations where Middle Tennessee, our projected win total is more than a win, more than than what the posted win total at DraftKings is. And, and usually that's what we're looking for, at least that to, to bet. And Old Dominion's got an even bigger edge. You know, uh, it's, it's almost two full wins. And pretty much, you know, me personally, everything that we had two wins or more was an automatic bet for me. And, and the first time these were posted and, you know, I do go back and, and look again, see how the odds have changed. And, you know, some of them are, are worth a, another unit or two or, or what have you. But, you know, I, I get somebody looking at old dominion and saying in 2019, this team was one in 11, one of the worst teams in college football. And they haven't played in over a year. How could they possibly be any good? They've got to be one of the worst teams. So I, I understand if somebody looks at this and says, man, four wins, that's an automatic under bet. But, you know, our, our numbers think that there's enough there. I personally, I want to see more. I don't necessarily, you know, I'm kind of in that, in that camp where my first thought is, how could this team possibly be any good? 
I was really surprised that our projected win total came out as high as it did. So I understand if somebody sees that and gets excited and thinks, hey, you know, maybe maybe there's something to this. Uh, but I would not suggest it, and, and I am not betting it personally. All right, let's go over to Rice here. And uh, Rice, they had their kind of potential breakout season slowed by the late start, but they did smash Marshall uh, 20 to zip. And that was a big, big step for them. They finished two and three, but all three of their losses were by fewer than 10 points, which is, you know, I, I know that uh, we are painting with nice colors here, but for Rice, that is taking a big step. And they had some big time transfers come in. We have them at five and seven, Nick. Their DK number is five and a half. So even the betting lines expect them to improve. We only have them favored in three and talent edges in only two. So uh, what do you expect from Rice in 2021? So Rice has been a team that our numbers have been pretty low on, I think, compared to most. Uh, there, there seems to be kind of a feeling out there that Rice is a program ready to break through under head coach Mike Bloomgren. And then last year, you know, in, in some ways, they certainly – uh, you know, the, the shutting out a ranked opponent and a division uh, champ in Marshall, that's that's a breakthrough performance. And, you know, there certainly are some things to like. They play a little bit different style, or at least they have in the past, you know, with a fullback, with a tight end, kind of that traditional pro offense. They play good defense. So there's there's some reason to believe that, that Rice could be a bold contending type team. I mean, this is a team that was very close to a 500 record, had some really you know strong performances last year. They're they're a team that is you know capable of over overachieving their roster strength numbers, their their talent numbers because of that style of play. It's it's not quite the same as a you know triple option team or service academy, but it's. It's kind of in that uh, realm where, you know, they, they play just a little bit different enough style where, you know, they, they hold the ball for a long time, or at least they have in the past. They keep the game close, try to stay within one score and have a chance to win in the fourth quarter. A, a team that's capable of, you know, covering as a big underdog or, or uh, you know, doing a good job of not getting blown out, not losing a game by, by more than 10 last year. So, because of the style they play, it's very possible our numbers don't quite capture how good Rice might be, or at least how dangerous, you know, of, of winning a game or, or keeping it closer or, or what have you. Because roster strength wise, you know, they rank 114th overall, 115th on defense, 108th on offense. And that includes one of the big time transfers you were talking about, new quarterback. Uh, uh, McCaffrey, right? Which, which, which McCaffrey? I get Luke. Confused. Luke McCaffrey from uh, was it at Nebraska? You know, beat Adrian Martinez out for that job and, and midseason couldn't hold on to it. But very athletic, did some good things. Uh, ended up saying, you know, announcing a transfer to Louisville. Decides to change course. Ends up at Rice. On paper, you know, we're penciling him in as the starting quarterback. And it's uh, at least a three-man race, if not a five-man race at that position. But, you know, McCaffrey just on paper, again, looks so much better. Plus, he's got 
an edge, you know, basically in, in experience and uh, what he was able to do at, at the Power Five level last year. Though Wiley Green, former starter, will be in the mix. Jake Constantine was an FCS starter. He's going to be in the mix as a, a transfer as well. Giovanni Johnson started some. TJ McMahon sounds like really blew up in the spring game under new offensive coordinator Marcus Tuasasopo, who is kind of bringing in a little bit more of an ups, uh, you know, at least a, a little bit faster paced offense. He's not been, you know, hurry up, no huddle or anything. He spent the last few years at Cal. And then prior to that was at UCLA under Mora when they were in the, you know, Josh Rosen, uh, more, more pro style, traditional uh, system, but sounds like things are moving a little faster, opening up a little bit more, less, you know, <laughs> fullback tight end all the time type thing. So if McCaffrey comes in, and is able to utilize some pretty good weapons, actually. Brad Rosner, who opted out last year, is an all-conference USA caliber uh, receiver. Jake Bailey was pretty explosive. They've got two returning tight ends, including Jordan Myers, who's really kind of a you know Swiss Army knife type guy, was an all-conference tight end. Will line up at running back some. Uh, will line up, you know, they'll split him out some as well. So there's... There's some things to like, plus all five starters on the offensive line come back. This offense could be exciting. Uh, A couple of good running backs returning. Leading rusher, Kalen Griffin, who again had a big spring. He's actually not the highest rated player, according to our numbers. That's Juma uh, Adoviano, who, you know, split time, split carries last year. Uh, A little bit higher rated, according to our numbers. But, you know, both guys are are probably going to see a role. And then Rice has been a pretty good defense. And, and though, again, the, the talent numbers don't quite match kind of that, that thinking because they rank, what, 100th or worse, basically, at, at every level of the defense as far as our talent numbers go. But on, on paper, uh, or at least in the, in the box score, decent. It was a top 50 team as far as our overall defensive team performance Ratings last year, they were 46th against the pass, 36th against the run. The defensive line, you know, might have been a little bit of a weak spot, but still ranks 76. That's middle of the pack in, in Conference USA. So good, solid defense. We don't know exactly what the offense is going to look like, but if it's similar to, to years past, they will do a little bit of ball control, time of possession. So we would expect the, the defense to, to have pretty good numbers again. They do lose a big piece. They lost uh, Blaze Aldridge, who was an all-conference USA player. He was a 100-rated player in our uh, formula. He's off to Missouri. Looks like he's got an opportunity to, to play at a Power 5 level, maybe you know improve his uh, professional future. But they bring back a lot otherwise. And you know they do have to replace Mike Collins, who's a, a starting quarterback, but they've got plenty of experience. And then when, when Luke McCaffrey – you know, when we inserted him into our FBS team profiles and our depth charts, Rice ranked 130th in our quarterback unit ratings. They now rank 86. It's the highest rating of any position on the roster. They are now favored, according to our official projections, in three more games than they were without McCaffrey. So I mentioned our numbers were pretty low on Rice traditionally and might not capture kind of how good they could be. But because of McCaffrey coming in, and this assumes, yeah, he wins the job and and is as good as we think he can be, but 
at, at the very least, his his inclusion, I think, gets our Rice projections up to where they should be, to where this is a bold, challenging team. They're only favored in three games, as you mentioned. The stats model, though, they're favored in seven. So that that is sort of, you know, again, looking deeper into the box score. That makes me feel pretty good. And then having five, uh, you know, 5.14 projected wins on average, it's it's not quite enough to get me to say, yeah, they're going to a bowl and bet over five and a half. But I think Rice is a dangerous team. And I think finally, you know, we're, we're close to projecting them as to where they should be. They might not quite be a top 100 team yet, but we've got them at 110th overall in our power rankings, you know, and, and a, again, a bowl contending team seems about right to me. Yeah, and Xavier, the schedule when you look for Rice, uh, first of all, not very active in the transfer portal. Luke McCaffrey <laughs> being the big gift, but not active at all. Uh, nah. But the the opening of this schedule is just brutal. And then, like Nick said, you know, maybe we only have them favored in three, but the other model has them in seven. So they they move into a lot of 50-50 games. But yeah, Arkansas, Houston, Texas to open is just brutal. And this is what I was talking about when you asked me whether I would have my, easy, my harder games at the beginning or the end. This is a perfect example. You're going to start with these three games, and it, it can get rough. You know, not only are these games going to be very physical because of, your, of the talent in which you're playing, but also to build confidence after starting off 0-3. And, and that's, you know, it's not only starting off 0-3, which is probably what's going to happen. It's also how bad are these losses? You know, if they lose these games by 20-plus each, this is going to be rough. You know, I don't think that's going to happen necessarily in the Houston game. But, you know, if they were to lose these games by three touchdowns each, I, I would be very concerned for the confidence and the morale around my locker room uh, going into, you know, into conference into conference play. You know, yes, they get the, the reprieve with Texas Southern right before they had to, you know, right before they play Southern Miss. But even, you know, you look at the start of their schedule in, in conference play, Southern Miss, UTSA, UAB, two of those games are on the road. That's not easy either. Uh, you know, they, they get, you know, UTSA and UAB both on the road, two teams in which we both think uh, have an opportunity to win uh, uh, just about eight games, uh, you know, this year, or excuse me, over plus, seven plus games this year, you know, and, and, you know, they finished out the year is a little bit more favorable, uh, favorable to them, you know, with North Texas, Charlotte, Western Kentucky, UTEP and, La and Louisiana Tech. But by that point, you're looking at a team that could genuinely be two and seven, one and six. Do they have the will at that point to fight for the rest of their year? You know, we talked about it. You know, Nick alluded to it earlier uh, when he was, I believe he was talking about Middle Tennessee, where, where they were able to, to scrap together some late, some, some wins down the stretch of their season. And yeah, that's true. But you know how tough that is to go into the last couple of seasons, understanding that most of the games that which you're playing, you may not be playing for anything future wise as far as bowl eligibility is concerned. Uh, it's really tough, especially when you're dealing with kids, to continuously keep them motivated. If you know the the, the you know the postseason, quote unquote, is off the table, um, especially when you're playing teams that are going to be fighting for postseason in like a Western Kentucky and possibly Louisiana Tech teams that you think might be fighting for for bowl eligibility, it's going to be really tough for them to be keep that motivated. So for me, picking uh, taking the over on Rice at five and a half is a little too uh, rich for my blood. 
I think this is a four-win ball cup going into next year. Uh, I think their schedule doesn't do them any favors whatsoever. You hit it right on the head, Scott. Recruiting-wise, they didn't really do much on the transfer portal. Uh, yes, they ranked fifth in Conference USA, but that comes mostly from the freshmen in which they would that, that, that they're bringing in. Uh, so I don't know how much immediate impact those freshmen are going to have uh, on this team. Uh, and, you know, Nick alluded to it, but Luke McCaffrey, yes, he has the talent. But does that mean he's going? That's going to transfer at Rice? And to be perfectly honest with you, yeah, he has the talent. But when you start with the three teams we just talked about, we might not be able to see it for a while. You know, it, it might be, take a minute for us to see the talent that Luke McCaffrey has and what kind of leash is he playing on? Is he on a short leash? Is he on a you know? Is he on a longer leash? And, and do and are his not only is the fan base, but is his coaching staff going to give him the leniency to understand that? Well, yeah, we are playing. You know. Two, two, you know, P five teams, or, or excuse me, three P, you know, two P five teams and a G five team in the first three weeks, and are we going to allow him to to work through those growing pains, or after those three games, is it going to be a situation where it's like, I don't know, man, we might have to move on and see what else we have. So yeah, that, and, yeah, that I mean, that Nick right there is an extremely difficult question to answer. Is is it better for a guy like Luke McCaffrey coming in to have to face that rough first three game schedule? for his future at rice do you think they just i mean obviously the coaches are going to put this in and they're going to know but if he just looks terrible uh do you fear for his long-term future at rice for those first three bumpy games against arkansas houston and texas yeah if he, if he looks bad it's it's uh potentially a problem because i mentioned there are you know four other guys that could challenge for this job looked like we're in contention for this job before McCaffrey showed up. So, you know, if they get blown out in those first three games, then yeah, you worry, are they going to switch quarterbacks or, you know, is confidence going to be an issue lack of confidence uh, moving forward and, and, you know, maybe things spiral out of control and, and they end up, you know, putting together a, a really, rough season but i think i think luke mccaffrey gives you a chance and i think that you know just based on my brief watching of, of some rice games last year and in, in years past and yeah you know wiley green's done some good things here or there Giovanni johnson's done some good things here or there i've read a little bit about you know tj mcmahon had a, a really strong spring jake constantine it sounded like uh, you know, was doing some good things in, in spring practice as well. So, you know, uh, yeah, somebody could give them a, a maybe a boost if they need it by putting a, a second guy in. But I think just based on what I've seen from Luke McCaffrey, his raw talent is so much better than than anybody else that they've got available. And he gives them a chance to stay competitive against Arkansas, against, you know, yeah, they're probably going to lose by multiple scores against Texas, you would expect. But, you know, maybe Luke McCaffrey runs around and does some incredible, you know, things with his legs, makes a couple of unexpected big plays, throwing the ball, and and maybe they give Arkansas a scare. Maybe they find a way to beat Houston. Maybe, you know, they get out to to an early lead against Texas, and, and then Texas kind of has to – flip the switch if they come out, uh, you know, a little sleepy or, or what have you. So I, I think that scenario is much more possible with McCaffrey than it is with anybody else. So in some ways, if they come out 
and are competitive in, in those, you know, two of those first three games, I think it actually is a chance to, to give them some confidence. And maybe even if they start 0-3, if it's a, you know, if it's not an ugly getting blown out 0-3, uh, maybe they are able to turn that into a strong showing, maybe even a division title contending uh, showing once they get into conference play. All right, moving over to Southern Miss here. And uh, it was a weird year for Southern Miss last year. They got upset in week one, which led to a coaching change. And we saw three different head coaches, uh, you know, coach this team. They were three and seven, two and four overall in the conference. And they got new head coach Will Hall coming in. Uh, we've got them at five and seven. Their DK number is six. We have them favored in three, talent edges in four. So, Nick, what do you think about Southern Miss for 2021? So one really interesting thing is our stats only model, which, as I mentioned, takes into account team history, weighted average over the last five years, head coach history in the same weighted average over the same time period, and coordinator, both sides of the ball. So that model, which was only only by you know a few percentage points, but was our most successful model against the spread last year, has Southern Miss favored in nine games. So again, you know, we're talking about teams who are ranked really closely together. The projected wins are, are really similar. The projected, you know, predicted final uh, record is very similar. Somebody is going to jump out and win eight or nine or 10 games. And it might be somebody that we're not expecting. Could it be Southern Miss? Because, you know, I, I do think the Will Hall hire is got the potential to, to pay off. You know, he's, he's a fairly local guy. His dad is a high school coaching legend in Mississippi. Uh, we talked about this a little bit in the off season, but you know, he seems to really be a great fit for this job and he's been a head coach before. Yeah. I was at lower levels, but you know, he, he's been a successful coordinator was hired uh, from Tulane. Who's runs a uh, really interesting kind of different offense that not a lot of teams are used to seeing week in and week out, run the quarterback a lot, and he inherits a pretty good quarterback in, in Trey Lowe, at least somebody who you know we think has a lot of promise as a runner. He was a, a transfer from West Virginia, got a little bit of playing time last year when Jack Abraham uh, ended up you know opting out and ultimately transferring. But a guy you know who's a power five transfer has some promise. And if that doesn't work out, there's another power five transfer on the roster from Louisville. But more than that, Will Hall was able to flip a uh, two-lane commit in Ty Keys, who's a, a true freshman. Sounds like, you know, he's he's Will Hall's hand-picked quarterback of the future. So if Trey Lowe's not the guy, you know, maybe Ty Keys is, is that, you know, player. And it's always a little bit tricky to rely on a true freshman, especially a quarterback. But you have to think if he gets in and plays a significant role this year, that he's really somebody they're going to be able to build around in the future. So I, I, you know, I think there's a lot to be positive about for Southern Miss, if not in 2021, at least looking ahead, but you know, 2021, there's, there's some promise as well. Frank Gore Jr. As a true freshman last year was an all conference performer at running back. He's I think going to take on a, a bigger load, uh, this year, especially, you know, with Kevin Perkins moving on from the transfer portal, Don Ragsdale as well. Uh, those guys are both off the roster. 
Gore's the guy. He's probably going to be, you know, the the uh, lead back far and away, and and I would expect to have a pretty good year. At receiver, they've got two returning starters, returning tight end as well. Jason Brownlee, who was a JUCO guy last year, uh, had some promise. I think you know could be even better. Could be a go-to number one receiver again as as now a, a senior. You know, the offensive line wasn't the very best, ranked 89th last year in our O-line performance ratings. Isn't the most experienced unit uh, as far as guys coming back. You know on, on uh, you know, starts and, and whatnot, though they do have over 109 collective starts, 46 of those belong to Arvin Fletcher, the left guard, and then, you know, uh, Bryce Foxworth, who was a, a starter at right guard last year. Everything I'm seeing, don't, don't really expect him to, to hold on to that job next year. So the offensive line looks like a, a little bit of a, a work in progress, but still, I think the offense as a whole has a has a chance to be pretty good, and it you know they rank in the top 100 nationally overall in roster strength. Very similar on both sides of the ball, 103rd on on offense. But I think that maybe has a chance to to be a little bit better than the roster. Uh, you know the talent numbers maybe project defensively. Again, you know top top 100 in, in uh, overall roster strength and a very experienced unit, ranked 15th in defensive returning production. It's a team that, uh, you know, brings back basically the entire, pretty much the entire unit, uh, quite honestly. Certainly the the entire front seven. Um, Plus they, you know, were able to, to, uh, they they expected to, to get a guy back who had opted out last year, Jacques Turner, who, ultimately ended up transferring out to, to Louisville. But, you know, they're, they're going to have some guys available to them that they didn't have last year, it, it sounds like. Hayes Maples uh, was a starter at linebacker. A little bit of a concern there because he did suffer a knee injury that is expected to you know, potentially uh, have him on the shelf to, to start the season. But still, I think overall, you know, defensively, uh, there's a lot coming back. And, and though they didn't rank, you know, the very best, they rank 97th in defensive team performance. There's enough that I think that this could be an improved unit. So, you know, uh, Southern Miss, similarly to, to what we said about Marshall, you never really know with a first-time head coach, though Hall does have uh, experience as a head coach at a lower level, still first time doing it at the FBS level, could potentially be some hiccups, especially for a team that had so many different leadership changes last year. It's it's hard to really, you know, plant my foot and say that this is a team that absolutely is going to contend in the division or, or you know, be a much improved team. But the stats model likes them enough that it kind of overshadows to where the other two models are, are a little low on them. I, I, I'm optimistic about Southern Miss. It might take a little while to get going, and, and Xavier is going to talk about the schedule, which has you know <laughs> at least one uh, probably very humbling uh, experience <laughs> on it. But other than other than that, there's not there's only let's put it this way: there's only one unwinnable game on the schedule, and so it's it's difficult to expect Southern Miss to win a bunch of toss ups. We have them as underdogs of you know, a field goal or less in a handful of games. So they're closer maybe than, than that, you know, just only favored in three 
looks like, I think that they could get to six wins. And, and though we did settle on a final uh, official record prediction of, of five and seven, the schedule's manageable and enough games are within reach that I, I think Southern Miss is going to be playing in November with an opportunity to go to a bowl. And they do have some tough matchups, you know, in that month, uh, especially in the front half of that month. But I think they're I think they're going to be alive in November with a shot to go to a bowl. And then I think, you know, looking ahead to 2022, when you maybe have your, your quarterback of the future ready with your head coach, with his, you know, experience under his belt at the, the uh, you know, at that school. And then with Gore moving into an upperclassman, arguably already the top running back in Conference USA. And, and certainly I think we'll be heading into next year then I, I think you're sitting in a pretty good spot if you're Southern Miss. Yeah, and Southern Miss, uh, Xavier, like Nick said, one big bump in the road in week four against Bama, of course. Uh, yeah. We have yeah. them as a 1% chance to win that game, which uh, makes a ton of sense. That's probably but a little high. It, hey, it might be high. Like <laughs> but, maybe they come uh, out like the Citadel. Uh, yeah, know, maybe. But, uh, you know, everything else here is coin flippy. So what do you think about the schedule here for Southern Miss? Yeah, I don't think the schedule is all too bad. You know, you start off your year here with, uh, you know, Sunbelt opponents in South Alabama and Troy. Um, you know, you play Grambling State. I think they, I think those are all winnable games for them. Um, you know, obviously, the you know, they have to go to Bryant-Denny. We don't want to talk too much about that. But then I think their conference schedule lines up very well for them. They have at Rice, which I think is a very winnable game for them. Uh, they get UTEP. As well, the week after, a very winnable game at home. Uh, then they have to face UAB. But that's really, I think, the toughest test that they didn't have uh, up until about November, you know, uh, until really November 13th. You know, they, they then get at Middle Tennessee State and then uh, versus uh, North Texas to, to round to in uh, to begin the month of, of November, excuse me. And I think after that, you know, Nick's absolutely right. I think then they're fighting for their bowl eligibility. You know, they get UTSA, Louisiana Tech, and FIU to end of the year. And I think they're going to have to win at least one, possibly two of those games to, to guarantee them bowl eligibility. You know, looking at their date, you know, looking at DraftKings' uh, win total for them, I think this is very well possible that they get over six. Um, if it was five and a half, I would, I would absolutely jump on this and say, I'm going to put my money down on this, but I'm not going to do it for six. I just don't know if seven wins for them is a guarantee. Uh, really because I don't know if they'll be able to handle South Alabama, who we think is going to be much improved, and a Troy team who we think we're gonna, is going to be improved as well. Um, if if I, I did, then I would absolutely put money down on Southern Miss to go over six wins. On the recruiting trail, they brought in eight transfers this year for pretty big teams. Ole Miss, uh, they brought in two, West Virginia, Virginia Tech, UCF, Louisville, uh, Missouri, and uh, Memphis. Uh, to name, you know, uh, So pretty big transfers, uh, which is why they finished – you know, uh, which, but that was it. Once again, they were a team that brought in transfers, didn't really care about what they did in high school. And that led to them obviously having a lower uh, Conference USA ranking, finishing 11th in Conference USA last year after finishing fifth in the year prior and finishing 123rd in national rankings, uh, where they finished 78th in the year prior. But that's, that just comes, I think, wholly because of the fact that they only brought in nine kids from high school and they really banked on their transfers uh, to come in and perform right away. But I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be with Nick here. I'm going to be optimistic when it comes to Southern Miss. Um, you know, I think last year was just a really bad year for them as a whole. I think this year should be better. Uh, but I'm not confident enough to put any of my money down on them going to get 
seven wins. I think six is actually right where they'll be uh, and getting and just getting bowl eligibility uh, for uh, for next season. And we have a question uh, from Eddie again here, and he says, what do you see with the Southern Miss QB situation? Nick, you mentioned it a little bit, but there are, it seems like, three guys competing for the starting job here. Yeah, I think I think there's, you know, Troy, Troy Lowe, who is a P5 transfer, does have starting experience in the second half of, of last season. I think he enters as the heavy favorite. Um, you know, T Webb, retro freshman from Louisville. I, I honestly don't know a ton about him. I mean, he doesn't have any any playing experience, but you know, as a P5 transfer, again, you have to think, all right, he, he's going to be somebody to has potential, right? Um, but I just I look at Ty Keys and knowing he's been you know committed to Will Hall before decided to follow him to Southern Miss. Uh, he is actually a, a higher rated recruit coming out of high school than T Webb and is almost exactly the same rating as, as uh, Trello the third. So, you know, he, that's a, that's a high rated recruit for a G five quarterback in general, but, but, you know, for Southern Miss for sure. So he's on par with those two guys from a raw talent standpoint excuse me standpoint and because you know there's one thing to inherit a quarterback there's another thing to pick a guy and and to be your guy so I think Lowe is going to start week one I think you'll have an opportunity to you know get Southern Miss to two and one three and oh we'll start that game against Alabama but I wouldn't be surprised especially if they you know, stumble against South Alabama, maybe against Troy. If they're one and three and, and Troy Lowe has, has started all those games, it would not surprise me at all if Ty Keys gets his first start on the road at Rice in, in the CUSA opener. I think he's the guy, you know, if, if it's not Trey Lowe starting in November because of performance, not because of injury, I think Ty Keys is, is the guy who would have beaten him at, is my my you know, just my feeling there. If that, gotcha. if that uh, going over to UAB here and uh, you know, th these are the returning champs 22, 13 victory over Marshall gave them their second conference USA championship in the last three seasons. They've won the West uh, three straight years in a row. Uh, and we have them at seven and five for this season. The, uh, DK win total is seven and a half. We have them favoring eight, but only talent edges in five. So uh, UAB, a very, very interesting team uh, going into the year and seems to have a lot set. They return a lot of all-conference players and stuff like that. But quarterback is a big question here, Nick. Yeah, and, and it's a little bit different of a question than most teams because UAB's got two quarterbacks. Uh, Tyler Johnson III has, has done some good things, has had some good, you know, yards per attempt uh, numbers in the past. I remember, you know, this time last year we were talking about how PFF was, you know, so high on him. Um, but he was injured, has been injured, you know, before. But last year Bryson Lucero got enough playing time. You know, he actually got almost 100 snaps more than Johnson and is technically the returning starter, the way, you know, most people calculate it. So, 
Uh, throw that, you know, Dylan Hopkins also, who didn't play last year but played over 300 snaps in 2019, is you know fully healthy again. So you could argue they actually have three quarterbacks, and and that is a good problem to have. But it's still, you know, it, I think if everybody had their uh, had their way, you'd kind of have one clear cut guy that you knew you could depend on. And maybe Tyler Johnson's that guy because when he's healthy, he is the starter. But, you know, the three of us talked at times last year where we thought, I, I think we all agreed that Bryson mm-hmm. Lucero looked better most of the time and, and certainly, you know, wasn't quite as boomer bust as Johnson can be. But, uh, you know, as a whole, UAB, understandably, is going to be one of the favorites in Conference USA. They are our second highest uh, rated team in the conference and in our power rankings, they're 68th overall, which, you know, that's 10 spots behind uh, Marshall, but still uh, close enough to where they're, they're basically, I would consider them co-favorites. They are expected, as you mentioned, the DK win total is seven and a half. So that's one fewer than, than Marshall and our projected win uh, total is is basically one win uh, lower. We have it at seven point zero three, but otherwise they they set up very very similarly. The only difference really is they've got the ultimate consistency at really the entire coaching staff. But you know, head coach is what we think of first with Bill Clark, and they've had the the you know they were able to get over the hump. They were able to win uh, that conference USA championship game last year. So. Though Marshall is the higher ranked team, if if I were to say, you know, this should be our favorite, I probably would lean to UAB. But they, you know, they they are not without questions. And and they do have, uh, as we mentioned, you know, some things to figure out at, at, at quarterback, but they've also got to replace some pretty productive players as well. Spencer Brown's the all-time leading rusher in school history. They've got two wide receivers, Austin Watkins and, and uh, Mitchell, who were, uh, you know, invited as, as undrafted free agents. Uh, Myron Mitchell, excuse me. Uh, both of those guys have moved on. They also had, you know, some guys getting getting looks on defense. Jordan Smith was one of the most uh, disruptive pass rushers in college football Had 50 pressures last year was drafted in the fourth round by the Jaguars. And, and then, you know, Bronte Harris had a solid career, had a solid season, and he's another uh, undrafted free agent cornerback. Uh, so, you know, those are those are some talented players that you've got to replace. I think they're going to be fine, you know, running the football. Dwayne McBride averaged, what, nine yards per carry in, in uh, only 72 snaps, but looked like maybe a, a future superstar Plus, they brought in Lee Witherspoon from Mississippi State as a transfer. They bring back Lucius Stanley, who's been kind of a short yardage goal line type guy at 200 plus pounds. Jermaine Brown has, has you know, been uh, a, a backup second running back at, at times. It sounds like he's going to be in a little bit more of a hybrid role used in the slot, kind of, uh, you know, as a wide receiver some. Receiver, I think, is where I'm worried most because Watkins and, and Mitchell were so good and because they do really attack downfield with Johnson. Uh, so maybe Trey Shropshire or, or you know, Rajay Johnson-Sanders, both of those guys are very limited as, as far as production goes. Shropshire uh, was the third leading receiver last year and averaged 22 yards per reception, but 
only caught 14 passes. So uh, still unproven, but the offensive line should be good. All five starters back. They ranked 31st in our offensive line performance ratings last year. The offense as a whole was, you know, really pretty, pretty decent as far as team performance. 33rd, which was just one spot behind Marshall for best in, in Conference USA. Uh, they were at their best running the football. They were 31st in rushing offensive team performance, which was top three in the conference. Uh, and they were 31st in, in, as I mentioned, offensive line, which was also top three. But defense, UAB consistently, statistically, has been one of the best defenses, uh, certainly in, in Conference USA. And they've been they've been a top 20 unit in our defensive team performance ratings in each of the last three years, topping out at number five last year. They were number five overall, number four against the pass. Their defensive line ranked 14th in our performance rating. So they've got, you know, some pieces to, to fill, as I mentioned, with uh, with Smith gone. But Christopher Mole and Noah Wilder are both all-conference USA linebackers. Mole's a max 100-rated player. Antonio Moultrie at, at defensive tackle is an all-conference USA guy. Tyree Turner is, you know, basically two snaps away from being a 100-rated player. Uh, TD Marshall, all-conference corner. So they've got plenty of guys coming back. The defense looks really, really good on paper. The offense, I think, is going to be good enough. Uh, you know, the schedule is is tough. As we mentioned, it's the toughest in our ratings in Conference USA. Uh, have some real tricky non-conference uh, spots. But, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if UAB makes it three out of four in, in winning Conference USA. I certainly think they're the team to beat. Uh, well, maybe I should walk that back a little bit. But they're, <laughs> they're co-favorites in the West probably, according – uh, they're probably favorites according to our projections, but I think realistically they're they're co-favorites maybe with with uh, UTSA. But they're going to be tough and and kind of you know what is it to to be the best? You got to beat the best. And UAB two out of the last three years has been the best three in a row in the West. So uh, you know it, somebody's got to knock them off, and it, nobody is proven yet capable of doing that. But you know it might happen this year, but. It won't shock me at all if, if UAB wins the West again or, or you know, even wins the wins the league again. Yeah, and Xavier, looking at the schedule, I mean, it this it, it's funny how it, this the hard spots in this schedule are kind of all over the place. You have Georgia early, which we don't expect them to beat Georgia, but right. uh, you have these 50-50 toss-ups in North Texas, Tulane, Liberty. Um, you know, uh, and then you go down to Marshall and UTSA later in the year. So you have some a little bit early to mid and some late. So they're going to have to, uh, they're just going to have to keep the foot on the gas if they perform well early. And, that, and that's the thing for me with uh, UAB is, is can they keep their foot on the gas all year? Uh, because they don't get really any, they don't get any breaks. Like outside of the Georgia game, obviously, we think all the rest of these games are possible wins. But that also means that they have to keep their front on the gas the whole time. You know, uh, you know, when you play, when you're a lesser team, quote unquote, you, you know, you can against a Liberty. You maybe you're not expected to win. Uh, UAB versus Liberty is more, it's closer of a matchup than maybe Liberty versus a UTEP, right? So in that kind of a game, you're not just playing for because you know for pride at that point, like maybe a UTEP is. You're also playing because you genuinely think you can beat these guys, you know. And so that kind of always keeping their foot on the gas 
they don't they they are, I think are another one of those teams that fit that has an early bye week. Uh and I think that that could lend, you know, pretty, you know, it could lend to some negative down the stretch. You know, they 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 play their bye week is the first weekend of the uh, of the season. Yeah. They they they, they don't have a bye week after mm-hmm. they play their entire season straight through. And outside of their game against Jacksonville State, you know, they play their their entire season straight through. That's a lot. Wait, that, that's a on. ton. Hold on. Well, okay, aren't so I'm seeing their on, schedule. Aren't they off on October 30th? Do I have that wrong? Oh, they are. Thank you. I saw that they played on September 1st and saw that they had a 10-day gap, and that was what I was calling their bye week. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, I don't see it. Uh, but, yes, they do have one on October 30th. Thank you, Nick. So they do uh, get that bye week, so I will retract that statement of having to play their season straight through. But regardless, they're also – and, and Scott, you alluded to them having to keep their foot on the gas. They have the target on their back every single week. Every week, they are the team that if they lose, they're going to be on every Conference USA publication. You know, they're going to be on, on Twitter. You know, they may at some point this year, if they're able to win enough games, might slip into, you know, a top 25 ranking. You know, they, they, you know, they have been able to do that over the last couple of years, slip in and out of the top 25. And so if you're, you know, if you're playing Rice October 23rd and you're ranked 25, this is an opportunity for Rice to be the ranked team. So that kind of, you know, that kind of stress is, you know, constant for them all season. So can they keep that level of, uh, of play up all year? I'm not sure. I'm really excited that their last two games or that their last, one of their last few games is against UTSA, who we're going to talk about in just a second, uh, because it, that may set, you know, that might, D- determine who wins that side of the conference and for it to be such a, a such a you know uh, late part of the season is really fun uh i think for just college football fans in general and just gonna be a really good game and it's at utsa which i think adds an element as well yeah and we did get a question here uh from uh eddie and he said uh or i think this one yeah this one's from john excuse me and he says seems like the most hyped teams have first or second year head coaches aside from uab and bill clark would you take a first or second year coach teams uh, or the field to win the conference USA, Nick? So um, do you like UAB or do you think you go with the the field and maybe one of these first or second year head coaches in conference USA? If, if he hadn't said that second year, I, I probably would have taken the field because I think UTSA really could, really could do it. But I, I think UAB is safe enough and I think the conference is wide open enough that I probably take the field because it, you know, it wouldn't be a shocker if uh, UAB wins, if, you know, something happens to where Rice really gets on a roll or, you know, maybe Middle Tennessee finally puts it all together with their uh, transfers and, and, you know, maybe Louisiana Tech just is actually a, a decent team and, and, with that track record at, at, at head coach. So it, you know, I could see a lot of different teams winning conference USA as a whole to where I, I, I probably would side with the field, but if I'm looking at the clear, you know, two of the top three Marshall UAB and UTSA two and, and, you know, throw in FAU maybe is the fourth, three of those four are first or second year head coaches. Maybe it would be smart to, to go with one of those, uh, you know, newer head coaches. Uh, okay. We are moving over to UTEP now. UTEP three and one uh, start gave them more wins than they had in 17, 18 and 19 combined, uh, but no conference home games definitely hurt their momentum and they finished three and five. We have got them projected Nick to go 
four and eight. Their DK number is only three. Favored in two, talent edges in two. So uh, what do you think about UTEP for 2021 here? So this time last year, UTEP was our 130th ranked team. And we were obviously too low because they came out, had a great start to the year, really were competitive throughout. And though, you know, didn't put up the very best numbers, they were 118th in team performance, or excuse me, 104th in, in uh, offensive team performance, 102nd in defensive team performance. You know, that's 30 spots better basically than, than we thought. Uh, our numbers still just don't, don't really like them. They're 126th in our current power rankings. They are the clear, you know, lowest ranked team, seven spots behind FIU. It, it, they're the only team that we, uh, or, pardon me, uh, they're the only team that we project will win fewer than four games on average, even though we did in our prediction uh, boost, you know, up to four. It, really, that's just kind of, that's maybe the one area where I let opinion kind of influence me because the numbers, they're just not there. You mentioned two, you know, favored in two games, talent edge in two games, the stats model only likes them in two games. They rank towards the bottom in, in a lot of, of categories as far as our roster strength numbers go. They have the lowest rated QB room in the conference, the lowest rated linebacker unit in the conference, lowest rated defensive back and back seven. So, you know, on paper, they don't look great. But I think we saw enough promise last year, and they're bringing enough guys back to where you think maybe they can carry that momentum a little bit. You know, Gavin Harrison started his entire year as a quarterback, uh, actually was unable to play in the final game, uh, and they still almost knocked off North Texas. He's got one of the strongest arms in Conference USA for sure, if not uh, college football. They attack down the field and they've got some pretty good receivers that they can do that with. And Jacob Cowling, who was an all-conference USA guy, Justin Garrett, Walter Don, all those guys are coming back after starting. They've got solid running backs. You know, Deion Hankins, local guy, highest rated recruit in a long time there when he signed a couple of years ago, finally got to be the starter, looked pretty good. Quadras Wadley, who was actually the returning, or excuse me, was actually the leading rusher in 2018, was hurt in 2019, was hurt last year, opted out. He's back. Sounds like he's healthy. All five starters are back on the offensive line, plus another guy who, you know, basically it's six starters because we expect, uh, you know, one is is going to kind of edge out a, a returning starter in that uh, front five. On the defensive line, they had two of the most productive defensive linemen in Conference USA, if not the country, and praise uh, Amalawule and, and Keenan Stewart. So a lot to like there. They rank 65th in our D-line performance rankings. You know, there's there's some holes maybe to plug in the secondary. Lost a couple of transfers, lost a couple of senior linebackers. But I think that defensive line is good enough that they're going to be, you know, again, a, a at least middle of the road or have an opportunity to be a middle of the road Conference USA defense, you know maybe be able to uh, break into that top 100. But quite honestly, our, our numbers just really don't don't like them and, and, and it's track record. It's because in the five-year weighted team performance average, they rank 128th. In the three-year weighted average, they rank 126th. And, and those past numbers are really pulling down their overall power ranking. 
And let's not forget, yeah, they won three games. Two of those were against FCS opponents, and the other was ULM, who went 0-10 and was one of the worst teams in college football. So can we really trust, you know, that, that they're going to be able to match that win total? I don't know. And, and I know Xavier is going to go into the schedule. It looks good early. You know, 4-1 and one is a real possibility to start. And that's what we were talking about. You asked a question earlier about would you like that sort of easy start? Yes, because you can build that momentum. If UTEP's 4-1 and one going into games against Southern Miss, Louisiana Tech, uh, you know, FAU, UTSA, then they'll have the confidence to say, hey, these are games we can win. If they're one and four, having lost to, you know, New Mexico, New Mexico State, teams that you think they really should be able to compete against, then they're thinking, man, you know, we're, we're the same old UTEP. Last year was just weird, and, and we beat a couple of teams or beat three really bad teams. But, you know, I could see a scenario where they get to four wins early, and then have a chance in some coin flips later on games that right now we have them projected as, you know, underdogs of, of more than a touchdown. But I think our numbers are a little low on UTEP. I think they will be a dangerous team, but I, I know that there's some, you know, uh, some whispers out there of, of some college football analysts and things thinking, man, UTEP is kind of exciting. Maybe they get back to a bowl. I, I, I think that's going to be really tough, but I think four wins is possible. I'm, I'm not ready to bet it. All our numbers are actually on the other side. So I'm, I'm, you know, we could make an argument to, to maybe bet under the three, but I, I think that three, maybe four is about right, but I, I'm not confident enough to say that UTEP really will break through, but there's promise. There's reason to be optimistic for sure. Yeah. And UTEP Xavier just might be one of the reasons why this conference is more jumbled than others uh-huh. because they can sneak a win here, sneak a win there. They, they could play a little bit better. Uh, but like Nick said, historically not great. And, uh, but the schedule doesn't, it doesn't look tough early. Like he said. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and, and I will say, Nick, you absolutely hit it right in the head. If they can start off four and one, they'll gain that confidence. But when you play for a team that's hasn't had a great history, it, it still eats away at you. If you struggle. You know, uh, you know, it, it can eat away at a, at a university, at, at the morale of the kids. If, you know, they do feel like last year ends up being what well, was a fluke. You know, if they were to lose to a, a New Mexico to start off the year. And what we're all thinking is a definite possibility to be four and one to start off the year before they, you know, they take on um, Southern Miss. They're, they're, they're three and two or two and three. That, that could really eat at them uh, if they allow some of those games to slip. I think I agree with Nick on this one, though. I'm taking the over for them if I'm if I'm betting on a on a DraftKings with this one. Uh, you know, I, I really like their way the schedule starts. They, you know, they only have them at three wins, I, and we all think they could get four right off the bat. And then from there, you know, they have North Texas, they have Rice. I think those are very winnable ball games for them. But they're going to really have to do most of their damage at the beginning of the year uh, because they do have a back half of the schedule that's very difficult. Southern Miss, Louisiana Tech, Florida Atlantic, um, UTSA. And UAB are going to be no easy contest for them. Uh, so they're going to really have to do, to win the games that they are favorites of, or at least that are, they are toss-ups against. Uh, so I think UAB can win five games this year. Uh, I like to say five. I think they can go five and one. I think they could beat – or excuse me, four and one, uh, play uh, Southern Miss. And then I think they could beat a Rice team. 
unless Luke McCaffrey is literally playing out of his mind at that point. Uh, I think they can beat Rice. Uh, you know, I think that that's going to be the game for me that may get them into bowl eligibility if they're able to also knock off North Texas at North Texas. But I think Rice is the game that I will point to that gets them over the four margin uh, or, excuse me, gets them to five wins. Uh, but I think they completely get over three and they, and they uh, get you your money back. And, and then some if you go ahead and make that bet. Yeah, and uh, to that point, Eddie asked, uh, "UTEP feels legit. Is that two glass half full?" So uh, that's a that's a tough question to answer, Nick. Do you think uh, UTEP as legit is two glass half full? UTEP and legit is just a funny thing to hear in the same. Well, <laughs> what's the definition of legit? Because are they a, are they a bowl team? I I really struggle to get there. Legit is a team. I'll I'll just I'll answer for Eddie, and I'm not you know <laughs> obviously I haven't spoken to him, but I would say 500. I would say that's legit. Yeah, I I struggle to get there now. If legit is a a clear over the three win total. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that it's it's a manageable schedule. It's our our 128th ranked schedule. Only two schedules in in college football we think are easier, and, and FBS are are easier. So, yeah, it's it's certainly possible. And there's some things to like. There's you know, I really like the defensive line. I like the receivers. I like the running game. It's just so hard to win at UTEP, and they just haven't haven't done it much, and they haven't proven it yet. So. I say I'm tempted to say not legit, but they proved me wrong last year when I thought they were the worst team in college football. So uh, they certainly could do it again. Yeah, yeah, they they definitely could. And uh, the next team is one of the favorites in this conference, UTSA. uh, And and the Jeff Trailer era opened with a bang. They went seven and five, five and two conference in a five and two uh, record in the conference running back sincere McCormick ranked sixth in all of college football with 133 plus yards per game. He was fantastic. Uh, we have them at eight and four. The DK total on them is eight. Uh, we have them favored to win in seven, but with uh, talent edges in 10. So uh, this is a good team, Nick. And, but the betting numbers are also saying that they're good. So it's great to get excited, but you also kind of have to look at these numbers too. So what do you think about UTSA for 2021? I'm really excited about UTSA. And part of it is they they did look so much improved last year. Part of it is returning production. They rank number one overall in our returning production calculations. They rank 13th in offensive returning production and third in defensive returning production. Everybody is back on defense, basically. Uh, and, and we, we, the way we calculate it, we do uh, take into account things like tackles and sacks and all that and what's, what's coming back and what's not. But we add in uh, transfer snaps. We haven't gone through and added in all the individual statistics, but you know, just sort of to, to fold in a little bit of a bump for, for guys coming in. They brought in you know, some transfers at, at linebacker, uh, Denzel Feaster played a fair amount at at at, uh, at Kansas last year, so that him coming in coupled with basically everybody else returning, we have their defensive returning production at one hundred point eleven percent, so over the one hundred percent mark on defense, and and you know there's a lot to like there. They they played solid, not spectacular, but solid defense. Seventy first in defensive team performance, fifty third against the pass. Uh, I know Rashad Wisdom, who is 
uh, an all-conference safety going into his junior year. He's bowl, or excuse me, he's draft eligible now. I've already seen a couple of you know NFL draft uh, scout type type folks you know putting up little uh, highlights of of him just you know hard hits in the secondary guys coming over the middle. Uh, he is that type of guy. Charles Wiley, edge rusher, you know, was a highly rated recruit coming out of high school, transfers in, uh, was incredibly productive last year. They got a ton of production out of a true freshman, Jamal Ligone. They brought in Juco guys. I mean, they're, they're you know, defensively, they're going to be, I think, even better. Uh, they, they have a chance to be a top 50 defense. And on paper, they're our best defense as far as roster construction and, and our unit rankings uh, go. So I, I think there's a lot to like on that side of the ball. And then there's just as much to like on offense. And Sierra McCormick had the second most rushing yards in college football, ranked sixth in, in rushing yards per game nationally. Frank Harris, who love you know, Frank Harris. I like him a lot. Can, can run, you know, has done some good things throwing the football as well, but uh, has had some injury issues, but they've got depth. Josh Atkins, you know, played a little bit last year, is much more of a thrower, but Lowell Narcisse is still there last I checked. Uh, they, they also have uh, Jordan Weeks, I believe. All those guys have started. I think, what, they had three guys who had over 25 passes, pass attempts last year, and the offensive line ranked in the top 40 in our offensive line performance. Three guys were all-conference, and – uh, all five starters return. So on paper, UTSA looks really, really good. I'm tempted to say that they should be the favorite in the West just based on everything that's coming back. The only thing that gives me pause is usually we talk about a head coach getting a year two bump. And it's very, very difficult to get a year two bump when you meet or exceed expectations in year one. And Jeff Trailer, I think, absolutely met and exceeded expectations in year one. So it's difficult to, to continue, you know, to, to build when you when you are already starting off at a high point. It's it's difficult, you know, what is it? It's 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 harder to stay at the top than it is to get to the top. And I know they're not all the way there yet. But they were a bowl team that not many people expected last year. It's it's going to be harder to stay at that level, I think, than it is to uh, you know to to than a lot like UAB. Their they're coming in with a target on their back now. Sure, right. yep. I, th- I think so, and they've got a lot of buzz. You mentioned that the the win total uh, at DraftKings is eight. That's the second highest in the conference already. It's higher than UAB. Uh, our numbers do like them. We don't think they'll get to eight wins, even though the schedule is very, very manageable. 129th easiest in Conference USA, according to our numbers, second easiest in in uh, the country. I, I love the roster. I love what Jeff Trailer did there. Seems like they're buying in. Seems like you know everything is pointed in the right direction. But it wouldn't surprise me if UTSA is a better team with the same record, if that makes sense. Maybe a few you know, fortunate bounces last year don't quite go their way this year. They had a 3% post-game win expectancy against Middle Tennessee last year, and they won that game. You know, that that is the difference 
between seven and five. Yeah, great. You know, winning season and 500. Uh, they were good, but not great. I, I, I think they absolutely can win Conference USA, but I, I, I could see different scenarios where maybe they overachieved just a little bit last year and they, you know, regression comes for them a little bit in 2021. So I like UTSA a lot. I think I personally am going to call them the favorite, even though they're our third ranked team in our power rankings, they're 81st overall, but just because they kind of jumped out of um, not necessarily nowhere, but that three-year weighted team performance is 115th, you know, so they, they were a triple digit team the last several years. And then they bump up to be a bowl team and a, a conference title contending team. There's a, there's a good chance that, that they struggle to get back to, or, you know, to take that next step, shall we say. So I think they're absolutely dangerous, should be considered a favorite, if not the favorite, but I'm a little hesitant to expect continued growth kind of at the, at the level we saw last year. And the schedule is even is just as interesting, Xavier, because when you look at it, it's, you know, they don't have a, a guaranteed loss on the schedule at all. Not nope. one, but they have I mean, they have two teams that are expected to beat at an 80 percent win percentage, according to our numbers in, mm. you know, UNLV at 81 percent and FCS Lamar at 94 uh, percent. Everything else is in kind of that you know, 40 to 70, I, I guess UTEP is kind of close to a automatic victory at 78%, but everything else is between 40 and 70%. So lots of coin flips in, in this with, you know, them, you, you expect them to beat teams like UTEP, but mm -hmm. you, you, you can see the scenario injuries oh, would happen where, where another team upsets them. So it's a very, very interesting schedule. Yeah, and what I think makes it even more interesting is the fact that I think the last three teams we talked about have all had similar schedules, uh, maybe except for one, that the back end of their schedule may be more difficult than the front end, and they're going to need that front end part of the schedule to build that confidence up. You know, yes, they play at Illinois and at Memphis, but those are games that they can absolutely win on the road. Um, I think they can win both of those contests. Uh, they play Lamar, Middle Tennessee, uh, UNLV, uh, Western Kentucky, and Rice, all before seeing Louisiana Tech. I think they can run the table there. You know, now granted, will they maybe slip up against a Memphis or and maybe lose to a, a Illinois? Possibly, it's still possible that they would lose to some of these teams. Uh, but I would I would pick them as my team to win in both of those matchups. Uh, and thinking about both teams, and then they play, and then they get to the the nitty gritty of their schedule, which is pretty much the month of November. You know, yes, they get Louisiana Tech at the end of October, but it's Utah, Southern Miss, UAB, North Texas. That's really where their schedule is going to be make or break whether or not they win the, their division and obviously compete for the conference. Uh, but when I when I look at you know UTSA, I look at a team that and this scares me a little bit when when a team is you know now kind of gone from a team that we thought was going to be okay in year one to now being the favorites possibly in year two under their new head coach. Uh, that, that that gives me cause for concern because it's one thing to be the hunter; it's another thing to be the hunted. And when you, like I said, with like we said with UAB, UAB is used to everybody wanting to beat UAB. They're used to being the guys that when they come to town, you know, the the opposing team's stadium fills out or settles out, excuse me. It's different when you're a team that hasn't had that kind of success over, you know, throughout, their, throughout the years. And when, you know, now 
Teams are going to be gunning for you every week and are going to give you their A game every single week. Whereas in the past, they may not have been giving that to you because they thought, oh, well, it's UTSA. We might have an opportunity to get over the hump here. So, you know, that's something that's going to be new for a lot of these players. And not only for the players, but for the coaching staff. I think a lot of times we think about the pressure that's put on the players when they're now the hunted. But now it's all on the coaching staff as well to not get too cute or, you know, not try to go for the jugular. You know, I, you know, we, we've seen many teams, you know, that we feel are better than, uh, you know, they're coaching. They, they, they come in and, and coach outside of what they normally would do, maybe in a big game, you know, what like they would they play uh, against UAB on November 20th. Maybe they coach out of the style in which they had up until that week. We've seen it happen with bigger teams in bigger games. So why not UTSA? So that concerns me a little bit. For them, I still think this is more uh, – this is a team that you should absolutely uh, take the over in. I think this is a 9-10 to win ball club. Uh, like I said, Illinois and Memphis are some weird games for me because while, where Memphis, uh, Illinois is a P5 team, I don't think they're better than UTSA, and Memphis is losing a lot of talent. Uh, so I don't know necessarily what that game would look like uh, as of right now. Uh, but those two games are a little bit of a toss-up for me just because of the circumstances. And then obviously the game against UAB. Even with that, that still gives them eight, I think – or uh, excuse me, I would still give them nine. So I think you can easily take the over here with UTSA. I think this is a team that absolutely competes for their title of the conference and obviously for the conference title as well. And I like this question, Nick, we have here from John. It says, uh, Sincere McCormick averaged 26.5 carries, 161 uh, yards per game, and six wins in five losses, 18 carries for 100 yards per game. But he asked specifically, what sort of problems could he give Illinois in week one? And I think that is a great question because that's a, a big first game. It's one of the few that they're not projected to win this season is against Illinois in the opener. But uh, Sincere McCormick could make all the difference in that game. Yeah, I think he could. And, and you know, it's first game with a new head coach, uh, Brett Bielema at Illinois. And, and uh, maybe there's some growing pains there. It's, it's an opportunity on a relatively big stage, knock off a power five opponent on the road. So, I, you know, UTSA absolutely will be up for that game, ready for it. Uh, he, you know, he could give them some problems. Illinois defensively is a stronger team than UTSA is offensively as far as roster numbers go. They're 53rd in defensive roster strength compared to, uh, U well, you know, UTSA is actually 38th. I, I should, I should walk that back. I shouldn't have assumed, uh, but they're, you know, comparable shall we say. They're certainly, as far as raw talent numbers go, uh, Illinois is, is, you know, ranks higher. They, they are not certainly a, a great recruiter, but at every level are at least in the single digits as far as, you know, average 247 rating and, and most are in the top 75. So they're comparable talent. Uh, they are playing under a new defensive coordinator, uh, UTSA, on the other hand, knows exactly what they're doing, and they've got an all-American caliber running back. So, yeah, he, he could be uh, a big factor, could certainly uh, you know, have an opportunity if Illinois, for example, in their first game, under a new, you know, in a new system, has trouble getting lined up. We know Illinois had trouble getting lined up last year under a, a returning defensive coordinator, former NFL head coach Lovey Smith. So uh, it absolutely could be something that, you know, Sincere McCormick 
could have a, a big day in week one, start out with a bang, and, and UTSA wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all if you know they're able to, to win that game. I, I know that there are some week one lines for uh, – I think it was bet online, had them for all games, uh, and, and I didn't see – the the Illinois UTSA matchup, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if UTSA is actually favored in that game uh, by the books. So you know we have Illinois as a slight favorite, but it, it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all if by time that game kicked off, if they aren't already, that UTSA is actually favored to win that game. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be shocking uh, to me either. Uh, last team up in Conference USA that we have here is Western Kentucky. The Hilltoppers uh, won three in a row to end the regular season, but they got stomped by Georgia State in their bowl game, 39-21, to which led to some changes. A uh, new offensive play caller here, of course, coming over from Houston Baptist in uh, Zach Kitley. Um, Going to be very, very interesting to see how he pans out, but we have got them at 6-6, uh, six and six, Nick. Their DK number is 5.5. Favored to win in six, but only town edges in five. This team hit the transfer portal real hard. So mm-hmm. what do we think of Western Kentucky for 2021, Nick? I don't know. <laughs> 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 I mean, has has there been a team that has changed more in one offseason in college football than, than Western Kentucky? You know, the last couple of years they played really solid defense for the most part and the offense really kind of sputtered but they are going all in with big offense i mean the the hiring the offensive coordinator at, at houston baptist who you know we got to see houston baptist a couple times in the fall they played teams like north texas that, that you know they played texas tech really close and they had this quarterback bailey zappy or zap i, I think it's zappy uh, they had receivers, Jared Stearns, Josh Stearns, Ben Ratsliff, you know, the Stearns brothers, uh, they, their brother, Caden Stearns, who's off the NFL, former Texas uh, safety. They were just putting up yards and points, throwing the football all over the place. And that is not what Western Kentucky was last year. I mean, they, they were a run first offense uh, with Gage Walker at running back, with Tyrell Pigram at, at quarterback. Uh, you know, Zappi's not going to take off and run very much. They're probably going to throw it 40 or more times per game. I, I did go through and, and as part of our statistical projections, which we'll officially release to our patrons later this month, you know, uh, Zach Kitley is, is the offensive coordinator now there. They averaged... Uh, his last five years in, in offenses that he's been involved with, he was the offensive coordinator at Houston Baptist, was there for three years, and was at Texas Tech prior to that under Cliff Kingsbury. In that five-year period, the offenses that he's been a part of have averaged 493 pass attempts per season, and that includes they only played four games last year. So, uh, you know, prior to that, they they threw three uh, excuse me 594 times in 2019, 463 times in 2018 so they are going to be all over the place you know selling out uh, with with throwing the football and it's a complete change in offensive philosophy could it work yeah for sure you know that houston baptist offense was 
productive. It was dangerous. It gave some FBS teams headaches last year, but they, in addition to bringing in transfers from Houston Baptist, brought in transfers from everywhere else. <laughs> I mean, they, they've got an, another FCS transfer at running back, Adam Caulfield from North Dakota State. They brought in another tight end. They have a pretty good tight end, Joshua Simon, returning. They brought in a, a starting tight end from Buffalo and Zach uh, Lefevre. They brought in multiple starters on the offensive line, Bo Wilson from Nebraska, uh, Cameron Stage from Bowling Green. On the defensive side of the ball, I'm counting more than half a dozen uh, Power 5 transfers. Got guys from Wake Forest, North Carolina, Nebraska, Michigan State, plus uh, a pretty highly rated defensive end, Michael Pitts, who you know spent a lot of time in the starting lineup at Cincinnati. So you throw in that they do have some talented guys returning. D'Angelo Malone's a 100-rated player at, at defensive end. Uh, Will Ignat only played one game last year uh, because of, I believe, eligibility, but was a transfer at Tennessee, played plenty of, of snaps there, is a uh, you know, mid-80s rated player. They've got to rebuild the, the uh, secondary, but you know, multiple uh, P5 transfers and, and plenty of guys who, who got you know, a lot of snaps last year. Two players, Amari Alexander and Dominic Bradshaw, weren't technically returning starters, but played over 400 snaps. So, you know, I, I don't think the defense will completely fall off the face of the earth. I mean, this was a top, what, they finished 16th in pass defense in, in team performance last year. They were 55th in overall defense in, in team performance. I don't think they're going to completely uh, crater, but the style of play on offense is, is going to impact uh, you know, the raw numbers, they're going to give up more points. They're going to give up more yards. Not sure if they will, you know, yards per play, points per drive, that type of thing. But uh, it might look worse on defense. I think the offense has to be better. Uh, they only, you know, they scored 19 points per game last year. They haven't scored more than 25 and a half points per game since Jeff Brom left town. So, you know, they, they want exciting offense again. They want to be in the 40s uh, on average, you know, points per game like they were under Braum. Can it happen in year one? Ah, man, a, a lot has to go right. And, and they're set up potentially for success because new offensive coordinator has a multi-year starter in that system that he's bringing along with him, has three receivers who know that system, and they brought in other, you know, transfers, talented guys on offense, but they recruited no basically high school players. They went all in on the transfer portal. They are doing a complete change on offense, and they had to hire a new defensive coordinator because their guy left for South Carolina. Man, that is that is so much turnover, and so much is going to change that it, it's very very difficult to for me to say one way or the other what Western Kentucky is going to be. I'm, I'm thankful that the DK win total is five and a half, that we have them favored in six. We have talent edges in five. The stats model is, has them in six, and our projected win total on average is 5.88, which is anywhere close uh, to you know uh, enough one way or the other for me to have to you know say, yes, we, we absolutely <laughs> feel this way. So I don't know what Western Kentucky is going to be like, but I know they're going to be different. 
Yeah, and Xavier, looking at the schedule here, it, it's it's a very interesting one. It's one that, you know, as we mentioned before, it's the tough games up front. The very first one is Cupcake. You know, they play UT Martin, 92% win percentage there. Then they have Army. Then they get a bye week, which is nice. Then Indiana and Michigan State, like they're playing a Pac-10 or a, a Big Ten schedule. Big Ten schedule. And, and then uh, it's all Conference USA after that, and they're all coin flippy. Uh, with um, them on the favorite side, most games outside of UTSA and uh, FAU and Marshall. So uh, it, it's it's a very, very interesting, weirder-looking schedule here. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not sure if that bye week is a positive or a negative. I'll be honest with you. Having such an early – I can now say this like I was going to say for last team. Having an early bye week, especially uh, – two weeks into your season could pose as, as a threat to your health down the stretch. Now, hopefully that doesn't happen to anybody. I, I want everybody to stay healthy, but I'm just th thinking about it from a, a real perspective. You're going to be playing 10 straight games without a bye week. 10. It's a lot of Saturdays. That's a lot of games to get prepared for. That's a lot, you know, to not take a reprieve from when you're, 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 in, you're playing, especially when your bye week is before number 11, Indiana. Like it's not like they're taking a bye week and then they play old dominion. It's, it's all right, cool. We're going to take a bye week and then play a ranked opponent. And then after that, we have to go on the road to East Lansing. So, like, that's not going to be a very fun back-to-back -back week for them. Then they get UTSA. We just talked about could be a, a definitely improved team as well. I think this team is going to be a lot like Georgia Tech was last year. We're going to see flashes of really good play from them offensively. But with the turnover at the at the uh, on the offensive side of the football, you're gonna just see growing pains. Some games are gonna be really great. Some games are gonna be very ugly. And that's just gonna, you know, their defense as good as it is can't keep them in it. You know, we saw that last year in, in last year's bowl game. As great as their defense was, their offense made too many mistakes, and ultimately they lost that game based off of those mistakes. I think you're gonna see a recurring theme like that all year for Western Kentucky, where their offense just is not good enough at the end of the day to win a lot of these games. For me. I'm I'm confident saying this is a four and a half, five win team next year. What well, you can't win a half a game, but if I was betting four and a half to five wins is what I would be comfortable betting with. Uh, I'm not ready to say that they would be a bowl eligible team next year. Um, so I'm going to sit there. I'm going to say that four and a half, five wins will be what I'm comfortable with. Uh, that's closer to uh, our. Well, that's that. That's actually our expected win total has them with six wins if you round up. So I, I'm, but I'm not comfortable with saying that they'll be a bowl eligible team next year. Five wins for me is where I'll go uh, on Western Kentucky. And uh, we do have a question from our, our guy CK here, and it's uh, can the Houston Baptist offense translate uh, to Western Kentucky, Nick? And that's a – I mean, it's a loaded question, but uh, I think yes. I think if you're going to – if you're going to move uh, an offense like that into, you know, up into, uh, you know, the, the, the big leagues here, you start out in G5, and I think you can make it work there first, right? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, if you're going to make a just complete change in philosophy and, and Xavier brought up an interesting comparison in Georgia Tech, it's, it's not exactly, you know, moving from the direction, but uh, but it's it's, you know, just a complete going all in on a new system. If you're going to do that to be able to bring in, you know, what? three, four uh, players who uh, performed at a very high level in the same system under the same play caller 
the previous year, that's about as good as you could hope for. So will it translate? I, I, I think it will. Uh, you do have to, to keep in mind these are, you know, G or FCS players and, and they certainly, you know, show to you know, prove to be talented, but uh, I, I think we'll see a lot more points. I think we'll see a lot more yards. I don't necessarily know if it'll translate to many more wins. So I don't know if that necessarily answers CK's question, but yeah, you know, I, I, I think Western Kentucky has proved, or, you know, it, it is all in on we're going to be the Houston Baptist offense, you know, air raid uh, background and, and throwing the ball all over the place. Yeah, I, I think Bailey Zappi could certainly throw for 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns. Uh, but, you know, he, he certainly might not have quite the same level of success against a higher level of competition. So the wins might not be there, but but I think the, the stats will see a definite uh, bump in yards, touchdowns, all that good stuff. And that is it. That concludes the Conference USA preview. So soon? I, think, I think even for us, this is a record, uh, even for us. I mean, I watched the sunset at Nick's place. So, uh, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, uh, so this is a long show. Uh, it, it'll be, and, and guess what? As you're listening to this, guys, it's been edited down. So, uh, and, and, uh, it's still long. So we're, we're football game link here. Right. Right. And we will also work on the process of this and it will, we will tighten it up a little bit and not every conference is 14 teams. Right. Yeah. This is a big conference. Very much so. Absolutely. But thank you. If you've listened this far, thank you very much. And you guys, thank you for, for sticking it out. Not not shutting it down, uh, (laughs) two hours ago. Well, uh, luckily this is one of the, a few Thursdays uh, as we're recording this where I'm like, I have nothing else for a long time in between here. So it, it, it definitely worked <laughs> out. But uh, that is going to wrap it up for us. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.